There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Yanni, I got to hit you with a, a marriage advice question. All right. I'm not looking for marriage advice. But a, a dude was asking, you know, you're like, explain your, your one to ten deal that I started, that I, that I appropriated. Oh, I stole it, I think, from uh, Dr. Wayne Dwyer. Dyer? Dwyer? I don't know. Who's name? that? He's like a self-help kind of author. You're a self-help man. I, my dad is. Yeah. And so he's, he's passed along a lot of books to me. Okay. Dyer. Why, am I, why is it slipping my mind? Nobody can help me out here? Wayne Dyer. I know Dwayne Shue recently passed away. It's Wayne Dyer. Oh, that's Dwight Shue. Dwight, yeah, no relation. No. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it, it for I guess you could, um, yeah, Wayne Dyer. I was right. It's like a life hack kind of a thing, almost. Can you can you start over and not say that word? <laughs> <laughs> but that's popular these days, and people know what I'm saying. That's why I was hoping you would could do it without it. But go, um, ahead. go I can, ahead. I can do it without it's, it. It's but anyways. <laughs> I've been doing it for, I don't know, 10 years, but uh, it's a way to um, get through uh, small, petty arguments that maybe at the time don't seem small or petty with your spouse or loved one, uh, to get through them efficiently and move on, which he then realized that it was probably a, a petty argument and um, it was better just to have it behind you. But the way you do it is if you find yourself in the situation where you're arguing about how, let's the example would be how to load the dishwasher. And you're arguing about it and someone realizes, man, this would be a great time to execute the one to 10 um, 
what do you, what'd you call it? Like uh device to yeah. get through this argument. The one to 10 yeah. uh, relationship. And so basically advice. you just say, all right, how important it is to you. And at that moment, both people throw out a number, one to 10, one being, I don't give a shit at all about how you lo- load the dishwasher. Yeah, to be like, now that I think about it, I really don't care. Yeah, 10 being like, <laughs> this is so important to me that if we don't load the dishwasher right, I'm going to be up tonight at three o'clock in the morning thinking about it. And so everybody throws a number out and whoever has the higher number, you just go, okay, it's obviously more important to you than it is to me. Let's do it your way and you move on. I found that it works because I've, once I asked myself the question, realized I was arguing about twos and threes. And I also had it work to my advantage where I was adamant about something and my wife threw a two or three or whatever. And I was like, well, you know what? For me, it's like a nine and I won. And she backed out and she never brought it up again. But, you have to be fair. You can't always be throwing out eights and nines. Well, this but, dude that wrote in, yep. he shot the biggest mule deer of his life. Uh-huh. With his little boy. Okay. With <laughs> yep. his little boy. And he's like, Yeah, I'm putting it right in the living room with my other ones. Uh-huh. And she's like, uh-uh. Okay. He already had some up and he was gonna add it. There's a whole long story about okay. what's there, not there, and all that, but just the the gist of it is he wants it there. Yep. She's like, uh-uh. Um so they do the trick that they that you taught them, and she throws an eleven. <laughs> but then he's like well hey and so and so if it go and so he threw an 11 back okay Ooh. so at that point you're just in a regular fight yeah <laughs> i just know yeah yeah that's gloves off it's obviously it's just, you just go back important. to like sleeping on the couch and you could combine this with your uh, hand holding trick though yeah I, we haven't talked about that on the podcast i feel like i'm just getting a lot of marriage advice out of, out of this whole deal this is miles nolte talking not this, that. No, this is Miles Nolte talking. You related to Nick Nolte? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of, but I have been called Nick my entire life. Because like of Nick Nolte. slips, yeah. yeah Dude, I'm telling you what, man. Prince of Tides, the book. He's not in the book. He's in the no. movie, of course. There's some good hunting and fishing stuff in Prince of Tides, man. Yeah. I mean, the, the Nick Nolte thing was fine in the 80s, but then when he had the whole DUI thing that was posted all over you know, social media and the internet, that, that didn't go so well. He likes, pull, he likes to pull a cork. I didn't know that. Yeah, he got arrested in his. Uh, it was it was a big story. It was it was a while ago. But hmm. Nick Nolte used to be cool. He's not anymore. My kids were watching a movie the other night on a movie night, uh, and he was voicing a dog, voicing a like old wise dog. Uh, where were we? Oh, there's an irregular big fight. But the the trick. This is my dad's trick. When when one is fighting with their spouse. He likes to do it, and he would do this. Yeah, he likes to do it where you hold hands. You have to hold hands and fight, which changes the fight. Oh, it does. It does. I'm going to try that. You reach across the table and hold hands, and then be like, I'm hanging up that son of a bitch and deer. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Or however you're going to go about it. Um, Another thing, we were talking the other day, Cal and Yanni, you were in on this, uh, about whether it's okay or not okay to name your shooting irons. Yeah. Or your bow or whatever. Yeah. And I was saying I don't, but I had my halibut rod was called the Widowmaker. And <laughs> but I didn't name it that, but it just came with the name which I use. The man that named it dubbed it the Widowmaker. And this guy looked it up and he's saying, you know, there's various things. There's there some people refer to a, a particular type of very intense bong hit as a widowmaker. <laughs> 
<laughs> he found there's a disturbing sexual practice called the Widowmaker, <laughs> which I'm not privy to. But he says what he thinks you're getting at. I was saying it means that you're going to catch, I thought it meant you're going to catch male halibut, thereby widowing. Yeah, and I can see I can see mate. the other interpretation. But His the, is larger you're halibut are like, typically females. I know. Yeah. That's the thing. So you're you're uh yeah. He gets into this deal. Uh you gotta introduce yourself. Sam Lundgren. We're gonna get to you real big. But uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh God. He said what it means is you're gonna like the rod so much that you're it will effectively widow your spouse because you'll be fishing so often. <laughs> um got an email from a guy, this is interesting. He was zapped on the ankle. As a kid, he was in Custer State Park in South Dakota, got zapped on the ankle by a prairie rattlesnake. Um, Within seconds, he was temporarily paralyzed. And the weirdest thing, he says, he was left with nothing but his sense of hearing. Whoa. Hmm. Whoa. Almost lost his life. And there's this whole other story about the the dude that helped him out and the way that he felt that the state park sort of didn't 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 seem to want the news to get out i don't know but uh but i thought it was an interesting story um got some we get hate mail i never i don't talk a whole lot about hate mail we got an interesting hate mail from a guy who is pissed uh about he's pissed by a handful of things he's pissed that we wear 40 dollar underwear which i don't understand because i don't know how much i i know like i didn't know how much my underwear cost my underwear cost nine dollars oh i'm about to look mine up i have what's called a varicocele which is a problem in your scrow. And it feels a lot better if I wear, I don't wear tidy whities I wear black tidy whities Three for $27. <laughs> I checked. <laughs> but I he, Prime, he's referring to the first light boxers. Yeah, yeah. but I don't, yeah. I don't wear them. Oh, it's my varicocele problem. So he's pinning on me. If I did, I would just tell him yeah. because I'm going to get to more of the things that he's mad about. But that's one of the things he's mad about. Expensive I'll, underwear. Yeah. Uh, I think you're, unfortunately, you're just looking at those as underwear. They function just fine as shorts on the occasion. Um, I've hiked in them alone many times. And, yeah. uh, you know, for plane travel all the way up through riding a horse and mountain biking and all that stuff, um, you know, you don't stink so bad. So, yeah, and you can wear the same things for six, seven days. And, and I do regularly. So, But that's his gripe. Yeah. I but here's it. the weird thing about this dude. He, he says he's, he's drinking beer at SeaTac and acknowledges that he's probably had too many. How much is the airport <laughs> beer? $10. At least. Minimum. So I don't at get least. it. Like, Especially at that's SeaTac. What, that's where this guy's letter becomes really funny because another main gripe of his is that he doesn't feel that non-residents should be able to apply for... He's mad that we talk about and have friends who... and that we apply for non-resident big game tags, especially for like limited draw stuff. He thinks that this is bad because a lot of people can't afford that stuff. And you, apparently he feels that only a taxpayer, like you should have to pay taxes in a state to hunt in the state if it's for limited draw stuff. But again, he's talking about like the working man. But again, you're buying too many airport beers. 
I always feel that when people, it's like, if you honestly can't afford, if you're alive in America today and have a vehicle in the house, I could come in and analyze your budget and find the money for you to do an out-of-state tag. I have often said, I'm like, myself personally, there's a lot of things that I write off as unaffordable, but if I looked at my yearly beer budget, the money is more than likely right there. You know, Giannis quit drinking for a year. I was conversing with his wife about this. Well, I haven't yet. How do you? I was actually. This is you're perplexing. in the midst. Yeah, I'm in the midst. He's. But in I haven't the, done it yet. That's right. Uh, Next year in 2020, you can say that. But it's your intention right now to take a <laughs> year off of booze. It is. As I look to get back into it, he's looking to get out of it. And his wife was observing to me, um, just the observation of of not having to buy all that beer. And she said, this kid can, or whatever, this guy. Like, Think about how many like states a, It actually like, impacts the bottom line, apparently. <laughs> yeah, this is beer habits. Yeah, up. well, $40 boxers and IPAs are not cheap. So, and then the, uh, he was also mad. Yeah, he talks about how I have ADHD and I'm a narcissist. Um, guy wrote in something funny. He was saying... That we were talking about button bucks, like do button bucks ever shed their buttons? And and a lot of people wrote in, in fact, like sent pictures and stuff. This guy tells this funny story where he, him and his old man killed a button buck once and it shed its buttons in their vehicle. Whoa. Huh. As they're handling it. So he saves them. He hears us talk on the podcast about whether button bucks ever shed the hardened piece. Goes to get his to take a photo of them. Can't find them. Asked his wife, have you seen my two little things? She says, I didn't know what the hell those were, and I threw them out. <laughs> so he's bummed about that. Um, emails coming in lately about Giannis not getting the respect he deserves and From not who? being properly appreciated. And someone wrote in, the best I can tell, this is a poem about Giannis. Oh. Have mm. you seen this? No. Did now, does it say who he's not getting respect from? No. I, I feel like I he's, assume it's like, I don't know. Yeah. He feels the Giannis doesn't get the appreciation he deserves. In fact, the guy that wrote the big hate mail about me having ADHD and suffering from narcissism, mm -hmm. he also said something like, you got to have all those people around you to save you from bears. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's not again, entirely wrong. Again, entirely I think he's wrong. like referring to, he's referring to Giannis. That's great. Uh, now, I hold the cremation of Sam McGee and the shooting of Dan McGrew as sort of like the pinnacle of American poetry. Me too. Like, there's no better poem ever been written. So, with that as the... here's I'll read a little bit. Oh, it's long. More imperturbable than a Stoic philosopher. More patient than Job. As brave as a lion. As sharp-eyed as a mountain eagle. Women adore him. Critters fear him. In action, howl like an angel. Huh? You liking this? <laughs> in action, howl? Ho no, howl. Oh. In appreciation. No, in apprehension, howl like a god. It goes on. Another guy wrote in talking about how bad. <laughs> I feel lucky just to be sitting next to you. I know. But then yeah, another wow. guy writes in about how bad Giannis is at math. <laughs> well, the poem didn't say anything about math skills. I mean. Yeah, let's be fair. In math, how bad? Remember we were talking about in Ohio, if you shoot a buck, 
and it's like how Ohio rates yeah. the penalties for poaching and that if you shoot a trophy class animal, they want to make it a lot worse for you than if you shot a forky. And they have this formula. Do you still have the formula on you? Might be able to find it quickly. You made it. You you used. You made a mistake in, in a term. In a term you used. In a mat. In a in a in a teacher. A calculus teacher wrote in about it. Uh oh. You said. Okay, so you take the gross score. Here's the formula. Oh, you already have it. Yeah, I, re- I just realized I have it in front of me. You take the gross Boone and Crockett score of an animal, and just real quick, remind people how you determine the like. How, what are the measurements to when you when we talk about this? Uh, there's a whole bunch of measurements, but it's basically the lengths of both main beams, depending on how many places you can get it. There's uh, mass measurements that go around the main beams, and then the length of the tines, as well as the inside spread. It wouldn't be mass. Yeah, yeah. Circumference measurements. Yes. And then the length of all the... Tines. Yeah, this all up. And there's a couple different systems for doing this, right? Is there total overlap between Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young, or is there a difference, the scoring systems? I'm pretty sure it's total. I think it's the same. Yeah, I think it is, I think too. it's the yeah, same. Yeah, as far as, yeah. like, methodology of... Yeah. But then the SCI is a different it form. Is. My brother's a proponent of... He wants to establish a system, which might be in use somewhere. He thinks that there's only one measurement, and it should only be water displacement. I've heard that pretty before, amazing. too. I've got a friend in Idaho who's a really serious uh, shed hunter, and he's found the sheds off the same crazy buck uh, for like the last five years straight, both sides. It's awesome. He's just got a stack of them, but it wouldn't score anything on either SCI or Boone and Crockett because it's just, it, they look like moose antlers that stick forward. Mm-hmm. It's just so massive and palmated, but it's not long and it's not wide. But he was telling me about the water displacement and how it would do very well. Yeah. It should that be like, that's his view. His perspective yeah. is if it's big, it's just big. Dip it in the water. How much water does it displace? It's and there you volume. see whose is the biggest. That way, if you drew a giant club, you could potentially. Anyhow, uh, so you, you score up the deer, and then you take 100 off the score. So let's say he's a real whopper. And I think they only start at 125. Okay. That's, that's the, so yeah. in that case, you ax 100. Yeah. So you need 25. You square 25. Yeah. So 25 times 25. Then you times that by a buck 65 and you create the, and, and that's what the fine is. So we we're talking about this guy killed this big whopper, uh, whitetail, and the fine was $26,000. He had a thousand bucks worth of add ons. Uh, you incorrectly, I didn't even catch this, you described it as exponential, that it grows exponentially, apparently. Oh, so I used the term exponential wrong. When something's being squared, it's not exponential. That function is quadratic. Quadratic. So he had his uh, calculus kids make a calculator for us so we could like type in any number and do it. And he said he also made a calculator (laughs) that if you use Giannis's method, if you use Giannis's method and got away from a quadratic system and went to an exponential system, uh, a 125-inch buck would okay. He the, he made an exponential system and, and rated it so that the 125-inch buck scores the same on the quadratic and the exponential. 
And then he ran what would happen if you killed a real whopper, a 250-inch whitetail. If it was exponential, Yanni. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. You would have a $1.3 million fine. <laughs> <laughs> With the quadratic system, your 250-inch whitetail would get you a $37,000 fine. How much familiarity uh, you guys have with North Dakota? Got some kin from North Dakota. That's about it. You don't hunt it? Nope. I've hunted damn close. I've hunted mm-hmm. looking over into it. I caught northern pike on uh, bluegill jigs over there one time. That was pretty exciting. Just throwing out nothing but a jig head and popping it back. <laughs> <laughs> it was catching like hammer handle northern hammer pike. Hammer handle northerns? Yeah. Uh, there's a bill there right now in the North Dakota Senate, state Senate, to make it that, well, I'm, I'm approaching this the wrong way. Right now in North Dakota, you, a landowner needs to actually post his land no trespassing. Like if you're in North Dakota and you see private land that isn't posted, you can go on it. And I guess oftentimes there'll be like large properties and someone might post along the roads or whatever, but you can oftentimes find uh, landowners who don't bother to post it, and it's just understood that you can hunt it. Or even people that try to post it don't do the, the thorough enough job, I guess. And people find, you know, find a place where it didn't, he, wasn't posted according to law, and then therefore you're allowed to access it. And there's a bill in the North Dakota Senate to change the law so that it becomes an automatically posted state, meaning the landowner has no obligation to like tell you you can't go on it. It's just understood if it's private, you can't go on it without permission. I can see both sides of that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing from a guy. He was hunting <clears throat> in Oregon and got a bad hit on a bull. He said he took a longish, longish shot. At what point does a shot become longish? <laughs> I suppose if you start questioning. No, bow and arrow, archery hunt. Oh, that would be very long. If, yeah. if you start questioning. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if he felt it was longish in hindsight or if he felt it was longish. When he was going to pull your back. Either way, he takes longish shot. Uses the wrong pin. Hits high. Square in the shoulder. Gets couple inches of penetration uh on a whim he goes on the an oregon an oregon hunter facebook page and describes his uh insert broadhead combo and says hey if anyone hunting this year were to encounter this let me know 10 days later guy sends him a photo telling him he was six inches high <laughs> of his broadhead and this bull this guy shot this bull 12 miles due north of where he hit it wow in a different unit wow it crossed is it grand rond or no yeah, Ron? Grand Ron. it is Ron. It's Ron. Yep. yeah dude Rond. Rond. crossed the grand Ron river 12 miles away 10 days later i'm kidding scared it pretty bad Man, they or move. he's just out doing elk type yeah, stuff. Exactly, they move around. Or he's like, where? I am out of here, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the upper end of that's just that giant plateau. Yeah, yeah. be kind of easy walking. 
But 12 miles, that's, yeah, that's pretty Yeah, but wild. in between the plateaus is pretty rugged. Yeah, up on top, top. Right. Though. Yeah. Like, the big the big gorge there is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, like down uh, Joseph Canyon and all that stuff is un- unbelievable. You good for a couple more? Yeah. Lots of people wrote in. We were talking about, can you really slip on banana peels? <laughs> Lots of people wrote in about slipping on banana peels. First-hand accounts of people slipping on banana peels. One guy feels it's such a problem that banana peels should be banned. (laughs) (laughs) He says, he's like, if I'll say this, like, if lawn darts are illegal, you should not be allowed to have banana peels. That's real interesting because if you get an upgrade in uh, your flying service of choice, typically the snack basket includes includes bananas. Yes. So, I mean. But lower class people are not permitted to have bananas. Yeah. They might be irresponsible. With the peels. You know, bananas are the most eaten fruit in the world. Is that right? Real liability. We were, do- we were doing kid trivia last night. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 2017, a dude in Massachusetts, an angler, Massachusetts catches a 400-pound bluefin tuna 15 days after the season ends. It's like a $10,000 fish. Decides to keep the fish. But it's hard to like hide a 400-pound tuna. Very so word hard. spreads around the boat dock that this fella is running around with a tuna. At some point, he gets scared, and he can't get it in his truck, but he ties <laughs> it to his truck <laughs> and drags it out oh. into the woods. Okay? He gets a federal fine of $15,000 for killing this tuna. Then just now, the uh, in the in uh, you know putting salt in the wounds, his local municipality doubles around and hits him for another thousand in fines <sighs> for littering and disposing of waste from a vehicle. They're like, as though you didn't learn your lesson, we will now fine you an additional one thousand dollars for charges related to you dragging a bluefin tuna out into the woods. That is very interesting. I think that's totally fine for the record. I think, I think, oh, I'm not criticizing. I think the fine should be higher considering the value of those fish and that fishery. Oh, yeah. And the waste that that should be 26k for a whitetail. And here you have like a, here you have like a fairly threatened species. Yeah. Like a fairly depleted species. Yeah. And it wasn't the, we, we, I've, forward around that article about that bluefin the first bluefin of the season that went over sold, a million bucks yeah. over a million bucks no yeah yes. oh yeah absolutely. Japan. japanese fish markets yeah because it had the right fat content yeah. and everything yep yeah. no and it, and it was the first absolute yes. no this I'll, is this I'll is, is legit article. a dude got a million for a bluefin well over a million if i remember correctly yeah and this guy like owns a like a chain of sushi restaurants over there and is known to be a big uh, guy with a fat wallet i believe is the story and but I'm pretty I, sure that wasn't the first one no, to go for over a million. No. No shit. Yeah. I mean, I knew they were like extremely valuable. But like, I want to know. Bluefin tuna goes for $3 million at first 2019 sale at Tokyo Market. How many pounds was the fish? 612 pounds. Because I know that they'll go. Like I was talking to a guy that sold some bluefins over the year and over the years. And you take it down right away. And they pull a plug out of that thing. And I don't know what they do. But yeah. they're very interested in. 
fat and I'm sure a host of other color fat and all that. And you either got gold or you don't have gold. Yeah. And he says it's hard to tell. Like he couldn't tell. Yeah. But they damn sure know. I was just watching that uh, documentary, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. That's a good ass. That is a good it one. It is very good. But oh man, it was amazing to see them go to the fish market and the guy's like, you know, two in a side. He's like, oh, I wish there was some actual tuna here. And there's like a, a warehouse full of these big, giant, beautiful looking tuna. And there's just, it was all garbage to him. Yeah. And it's amazing. And like they around cut them down them. to where they can like stack them like cordwood, right? Yeah. Um, the cores. Me and Yanni used that, learned that yeah, term. Yeah, the cores, yeah. This guy was, uh, this bluefin tuna that they found out in the woods was missing. It had its head cut. Where they leave the collar on. But take mm-hmm. the, yeah, the core. I, I mean, wouldn't you just, I'm dying to know what was going through the, the psychological burden yeah. on this man from where he's like, nope, screw it. I'm hauling it to the woods. I'm keeping it on the boat. I'm not turning it back. Or was it like bleeding from the gills? And he was just like, man, why would I throw this thing back to the sharks? Well, that's the difference between dumping it out. That's like you calling fish and game. Yeah. Or you just cut the line once you realize what you got. Yeah. But I, I just wonder if there's something that like made him be like, okay, screw it. Kick the doors open, haul this thing on. I'm keeping it. Because then, and it's not his boat apparently, because I'm, I'm sure they would have dinged his they could have taken his damn boat right? i don't know what i don't know if they did that those um, dudes that poached those bear cubs man they got their boat taken away yeah and i think the truck they used to pull the boat yes is that um, state by state though whether or not they can confiscate gear for poaching i don't know i don't i don't either i don't know but uh, yeah the guy had to have just been a mess then like all that compounds by the time you get back to the dock then you're like oh man wish i'll just let that damn fish go yeah and then to waste it yeah oh Oh, that's sacrilegious, man. That's Terrible. the weird. That's Terrible. kind of the weird part is um, who you know you have to almost have to hang out with the guy. Yeah, like because yeah. at some point he even abandoned the idea that he's just going to stake it out and put it in a bunch of freezers. Yeah, and that's why I'm like make that jack that fine up even further. I mean, if you're if you're wrestling, he's like he's clearly wrestling with this idea, and yet chooses to do a series of worse and worse actions. It's like. You had a lot of opportunities to right this wrong, and but, you did all yeah. of them. I get it, but we used to break all kinds of rules when we were little. Yep. I don't well, know if he's little. I was going to say, I doubt this is a kid we're talking about. I don't think this is like a 16-year-old. Yesterday, fishing, when the sheriff pulled up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're fishing, and the county sheriff pulls up, and I'm able to now, now being where I'm at now in life, I'm able to walk up to the window and lean on the window yeah. and be like, howdy, boys. <laughs> yeah. In the old days... If we weren't doing something wrong at the moment, we were nervous about what we had just been doing wrong last week. Absolutely. Like pitchfork and salmon out from behind some beaver dam or... Oh, a little part of me was still like, what am I like? Where's my light? Where's what am I? Do I have barbs on my hooks? Oh, that doesn't matter here. Um, am I old enough to be drinking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're like, you see a cop, you turn the radio down. Yeah. I'm like old enough now where I'm just like, what's up, guys? <laughs> well, like, they I came up and they're like, like I, haven't what? Even, I, haven't done anything, I haven't done anything wrong even lately. The thing that threw me off was they're like, we're going to get out and talk to you, boys. That oh, threw yeah. me off too. I'm like, you yeah. know what? Get out and talk to me <laughs> <Yeah>. because. <laughs> I haven't done anything bad in a long time. Yeah. I'm I, pretty, I haven't found any salmon in a da- drainage ditch saying shot up with a shotgun. <laughs> Hypothetically. I grabbed my license yesterday morning in preparation for going out on the ice. 
and actually opened it up, double checked the expiration date. Uh, yeah, right. Put her in my, yeah, yeah, got it. Uh huh. Copy. Yeah, I did the same and thing. We're, yeah. we're coming up on the expiration here because when the first year I lived in Montana, I uh, I had a, a game warden. I was fishing downtown Missoula at the the Hollywood Hole mm-hmm. right in front of the Double Tree. I saw a game warden watching me with binoculars. That's called the Hollywood Hole. Yeah, just yeah. because everybody's looking at you. Uh, oh, I saw a point. game warden watching me with bin, from with binoculars, like peeking around the building, and I was like, "What the? What's he? What's he doing?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, I left my my fishing bag in the truck. That's where my license is." I reeled up when I saw him do that. Walked right up to him and said, "Hey, saw you looking at me. Figured you want to check my license. Uh, it's it's in my bag in the car. I needed to grab that bag because I needed to change flies anyway." He's like, "Oh, great, no problem. I'll walk walk with you." Walks over there with me. I grab my bag, give him the license. We're just shooting the shit, being real friendly and everything. And he hands me the license back. And as I reach for it, he pulls it back and goes, oh, wait, this, is, this expired last week and writes me a $130 ticket. Is that right? Yep. Wow. My first year, first year living in Montana. Always. And I was like, I was like, I was like there's, a, there's, a, there's a fly shop two blocks from here. I will literally jog there and renew my license. He's like, no, nope, sorry. Violator, no flexibility man. here. <laughs> yeah, because he was giving you some flexibility for not having your license on you. Yeah, he'd already like... Yeah, yeah but but uh, but I approached him too, right. so I felt I felt like, I don't know. You I was, I was also, I, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. He was in the right there and I was Yeah, I can see it both ways, man. Yeah, but I was, I was just, I was just Maybe really did- annoyed by it. I went and pled it in court. Did you win? They reduced it to the minimum fine, which was sixty dollars. Yeah, right. well, it was worth your time. Yeah, thought so. Yeah. But to circle back to the guy with the tuna, I just have to say, I hope he at least took the belly meat out of that thing yeah. because that that bluefin belly meat is like the most it's just delicious like leaving a buffalo. You could find out because there's a picture of them. Li- they had to call in a wrecker. They called in a record lifted up by the tail. Oh, there's a picture of it sitting on a, uh, a tow. They had to call like Bob's towing to come down and get that tuna carcass. They what a shame, it. man. They brought what it to shame. a garden. Oh, they awful. brought it to a local farm to fertilize it. Old school. Did it say he? Did it say if he knew that the quota was filled when he when he put it in the boat? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't remember reading that. I think but you maybe want to bring up something, man. Like, what was I going to bring up? We were talking about. How I don't feel nervous about by law enforcement people anymore, which is good. What's <laughs> in the good call? Shotgunning salmon, <laughs> bad calling them. Well, when they make a bunch of wrong turns, here's the thing: is if they make so many wrong turns that they're in some farmer's drainage ditch, <laughs> we would take liberties with them because then you're like, well, you're not gonna like run into another salmon and spawn on the gravel at this point. Like you're up Bob Weir's in this drainage ditch, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> like you've you know, I don't know if the other salmon want you in this, in the throwing in with them. Giannis, your comment was, <laughs> did the man know that the quota was filled? I feel like you lose any opportunity for argument when you're stashing shit in the woods. No doubt. By the time Oh, no, I'm just wondering what, you know, again, his, his oh, thought yeah, process. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I'm dying to know. Yeah, federal. Did I say federal? Federal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, we could be really churching this up and the guy's like listen boys i had a lot of budweiser's those those couple of days <laughs> Man, i wish i could think of what i was going to talk about because it, uh, it was like a tied to this deal tied to this deal and i was going to talk about it see that adhd deal that like narcissistic adhd deal man. planted the seed now if you. i forgot something that was going to talk about how great i was that would back that dude up, right? <laughs> but it wasn't. I wasn't going to be like, oh, I know what I was going to say is I'm uh, you know, very strapping. 
Um, uh, one last thing I want to bring up, and then we're going to talk about what we're here to talk about. We've got to talk about three things. Um, this guy was talking about how he used to hunt squirrels with his grandpa. And his grandpa, they'd hunt squirrels with dogs. And, when they, and, his, and his grandpa kept a kit with him, which was a fire-making kit and a coffee can, a tin coffee can. So when a squirrel would hole up in a hollow tree, Grandpa would get a fire burn in his Ooh. coffee can and then set the coffee can in there to, to thereby smoke the squirrel out. And if I remember right, I, like, I feel like when we were little kids, we would, you know those smoke bombs you get at 4th of July? I feel like we'd do something similar. With, that like sticks in my head. But he's saying one time he's out there with Grandpa, and Grandpa forgets his can, gets a fire ripping, no can, and uh, starts himself a forest fire. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Jeez. Did That's he the get the squirrel? Fire. I've heard of it today. <laughs> I hunted the web today with uh, old Benchmade and uh, chose the wrong uh, answer when I was going to just kick out my coals or should I use the rest of my water to douse my fire? It's like a choice I had to make in, in Benchmade's Hunt the Web realistic yeah. Uh, game. Yeah. And uh, I decided just to shuffle the coals out because I was hunting in the Pacific Northwest. It's like nothing can oh, catch on fire here. And uh, sure enough, I walk away, and next thing I know, game over, forest fire, giant plume of smoke. <laughs> so I got a good one. I should one. clarify, he didn't, okay, he didn't start a forest fire. He burnt the whole damn tree down, but then the fire didn't spread. Oh, that's better. So, okay, on the lines of Pacific Northwest and fires and bad decision-making. Go on. Our good buddy, Jeff Lander, all uh, primitive outfitting. His buddies that are floating, floating a moose river, um for years and years and years. One of them dies. They bury his ashes underneath this prominent tree on the bank of the river. Um, one of these years, they invite Jeff to come down with them. Um, and they, they, this tree is prominent because they've called in a bunch of moose in this same spot. And it's nice and it you know breaks all that BC drizzle. And uh, they're kind of having a peaceful moment there and they're they're calling moose and Jeff has everybody sandwiches and tinfoil. Okay. And he starts a little fire there at the base of the tree. To heat the sandwiches up. To heat the sandwiches Making up. Making some paninis. They eat their lunch, move on down the river. Somebody makes the comment of like, oh, you sure that fire's out? The next day, Jeff has burned down the sacred tree, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> With the ashes under it. With the ashes under it. Because he decided to shuffle the coals instead of, because he's he's in a really wet place and it just nothing matters, mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. doesn't burn. I'll buy that. Yeah, that's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of gives that sacred spot even better story. You know? It does. It All right, does. one more, one more quickie. <laughs> now, now, one more quickie. No, um, Seth, have you said anything yet? Just about the uh, the. Uh, Cops getting out of their vehicle. Oh yeah. Uh, can you tell people about how about your ill-fated one uh, hunt of a lifetime? Oh, um, drew a bison tag in Montana this year for Gardner. And talk about that. How yeah, how'd you feel about three that? areas? And- there's three areas: uh, West Yellowstone. There's Gardner, and then there's the Absorca backcountry unit. It's like west entrance, north entrance. Yep, and then the backcountry unit. Yep. 
And um, were you excited to draw that tag? Super excited. You was. I was excited. No, nope. everyone was excited. Gave them all yeah. kinds of two hundred grain <laughs> federal bullets. Yeah, was gonna. Um, it was the first year I put in for it and drew it. Oh. Um, had big plans. We when, talk about what needs to happen. We, so the bison spend most of their life in Yellowstone Park. And in the wintertime, when the weather gets real nasty, they migrate out of the park to find better grass. Um, you know, there's, they migrate out because there's some, some animals stay in the park. This is from what I gather from talking with game wardens and stuff. They stay in the park. Some animals stay in the park, um, but there's too much pressure for, you know, the park to handle that many bison over the winter. So they move out. And they're just like roamers. Yeah. They're predisposed to roaming. Yep. And um, so they usually push out of the park, you know. The season closes February 15th. By that time, they're usually you know, having all sorts of trouble with them in Gardner and um, getting into people's backyards and destroying stuff. Well, this year, the weather was pretty mild. Not much snow down there. And they didn't decide to leave the park. Yet. Yeah, we were up in that neck of the woods yesterday and it was like no snow. Yeah. We were inches. Yeah. So my bison tag that I don't know if I say it's once in a lifetime tag because you definitely draw it again. Yeah, but that means different things. There's like once in a lifetime, like the expression. Yeah, and then there are once in a lifetime it's an, tags. Once in, so once in a lifetime Montana for this tag would be like an expression. Yeah, right. Meaning like it's not like, it's not like an Idaho uh, moose tag, right? That's once literally, once, literally once, once in a lifetime. If you are successful, yes. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, so you told me that before. That's right. Yeah, draw the tag. Got it. Tags your opportunity. If you fill the tag, that is your once in a while. What's the wait period? P- apologies to the guy who thinks you should only be able to hunt in the state where you live. Like, <laughs> you can't, in his view, you can't let like, go to your uncle's and then go out, do a little hunt with your uncle. That's like, no way. Um, uh, how many years if you don't? I want to say it's seven. Okay. So long wait. So they never, yeah. When I talk to a game warden, no state, now he used the term state hunters. Yeah. Because there are tribal hunters, like a lot of the tribes exercise treaty mm-hmm. rights or exercise the right, and they'll come and shoot some. I went down there one time uh, and watched the Nez Perce shoot five of them, I think. Yeah, uh, our buddy Ed Garcia, I think it was just last fall, last winter, he was down there. He's got a cabin somewhere down there. I was driving through and saw a, a bunch of hunters getting after it. And uh, there was so many, and they were having like problems, like getting all the meat out and everything. And there was gut piles everywhere. And he went down there, and he harvested ribs and uh, hearts and livers, all kinds of stuff. So much that he's like, "Oh, you want a heart, buffalo heart?" On the way way home, and he stopped by and dropped me one. I've off. heard of people doing that. Down there in the gut piles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's none of that this year. <laughs> yeah, not one, not one tag holder, not one state tag. Holder. I guess a handful of tribal hunters got some early. Yep, not one state tag holder. Yeah, it's just not the year. But for he it. said numbers were low in the park. Yeah, because they'll fluctuate. You know, That's, they yeah. like three thousand to seven thousand. So I heard that too. Numbers were low in the park, which means the pressure for grazing isn't there. 
So, that so do you got to wait seven years now to try again? I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. I used to put in for it, then I quit putting in for it. I Why just is that? Just because it's like a shit just show. It's, it just gets a little crazy. But I think I'm going to start again. I'm not going to let that scare me off. No. I'm going to put in for it again. But yeah, yeah just got to do a snow dance, man. Just wasn't the year for it. <laughs> now, I guess. if a non-resident were to snag that tag out from underneath you don't tell that guy the, don't tell the guy who's all drunk at the sea tag bar about it. <laughs> on the wyoming he's side. like i blew all my money on nine dollar beers bro i can't do that hunt wyoming side that opportunity to pursue that buffalo for a bull i think is like th- over three grand now hmm? wow. what wow yeah they what jacked their prices up last year oh the tag if you draw the tag it's three grand yeah as a non-resident Whoa. now your resident price uh, there's typically a pretty vast discrepancy between your resident and non-resident prices. Would any, anybody like to venture a guess as to why? Because they don't pay taxes in the state? Because states raise a hell of a lot of money uh, and they fund a large portion of their fish and game operations through the sale of non-resident, grossly inflated priced tags, for maybe? And... All those uh, resident folks, of which all of us are a beneficiary of, our tag prices seldom get raised. Yeah, yeah. So it's a subsidy. You, yeah, you hunt you hunt deer for thirty bucks, and another guy hunts deer for six hundred bucks, and therein you can fund a lot of wildlife work. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I, I do feel for this guy though, in the fact that I have definitely been the guy doing a lot of bitching about all the non-resident. Yeah. folks the out-of-state license plates and stuff and oh I mean, yeah yeah, yeah. No, i feel it yeah. i feel it i would i would you know what sure looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom aunt grandma whoever and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to okay it's easy to upload and share photos via the aura app and if you're giving an aura as a gift you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of oprah's favorite things aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages you can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply man i just got a new truck before i even drove my new truck anywhere i wasn't gonna drive it anywhere until i put a deck system in it that's how, that's what a believer i am in decked i always thought they were a great deal but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up it's like i didn't know there was a problem with them i don't know they seem great to me just an improvement on perfection the new system made in the usa gives you 10 to 30 percent bigger drawers to fit more gear it's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. 
nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more, like, leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Montana FWP raised something on the order of $21 million last year on non-resident license fees. Yeah. You know what Which they is do is like the second highest in the country, I believe. You know what happens in the trapping world? There's like a reciprocity thing in the trapping world where for instance um if a lot of states because because fur bears are more like a are managed more like a commodity a lot of states will prohibit non-resident fur trappers from trapping in their state and there's a reciprocity system where um if you live in a no-go state if you live in a if you're if you're like a trapper from a state where your state doesn't allow non-residents to trap beaver other states will reciprocate and not allow you. Huh. So, for instance, in Montana, you cannot trap fur bears. No, a non-resident cannot trap fur bears in Montana. So a Montana person is not allowed to go over into Wyoming, Idaho, wherever, and trap. But someone like, from you, another your state, state Yeah, your state won't let our people hmm. come. We're not going to let your people come. <sighs> I didn't know and that. You I didn't know that either. You get into a little tit for tat. A guy wrote in, like, how come, how come people don't talk? Like, why is Washington not a popular hunting state one, for, for non-residents? Like, one of the <laughs> Where things do is, we they, start? Yeah, there's a bunch of reasons. Um, they're extremely conservative with tag allocation. Uh, it's, it's expensive just to apply. And they I make have it a ton hard. of points in Washington, and now it's $330 just for the application fee yeah. for each one. So for, like, my moose, goat, sheep, I, I just don't do it anymore because it'd be 1000 bucks just down the drain. Yeah, non-refundable. Non-refundable. Yeah. No yeah. shit. Wow. Yeah. So some three hundred and thirty dollar application fee. Some states will really stick it to you. Like to even get in is going to cost you. Alaska's smart. I don't should say they're smart. Their strategy is to sucker you in. The application's not bad. Well, you got to buy a base license and you got to pay these fees, and then you draw and you get all excited and they zap you hard on the tag. But then you get people who draw and can't afford the tag, and it probably screws you up on allocations a little bit. Probably. So some states want to be like, is he good for it or not? Send in all your money, demonstrate that you're good for it, so that when we give you the thing, we get our money. And it doesn't like, you can wait and then later decide to buy it or not buy it, and then we have a better sense of who's like ready to roll. 
Yeah, Wyoming. Um, you know, uh, mountain goat is a species, and the uh, bison as well, where you can't accrue points for those. Um, but that's all the cash up front. Just like if you were to put in for any of the other species and not, and go for like the thin chance that you might get drawn um, without the points, you'd throw all your all your cash up front. Yeah. But yeah, that's two thousand bucks for a goat. If you're putting in for a bison, a bull bison too, you're at like five grand in Wyoming. Yeah. Damn. Wow. What did your tag cost you that you drew? One hundred twenty-five bucks. It's one thousand two hundred fifty for non-res. Hmm. You want to see a good pivot? <laughs> I do. Speaking of Wyoming, you like that? I do. <laughs> That's what we learned to call it. We used to call it a segue, but someone was saying it's like a pivot. <laughs> Larry Keene. Larry Keene pivots. Uh, Larry Bird, for that matter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> real quick. Real quick issue. Two real quick issues. No. You guys are all familiar with our friend Ben Long. Very. When we talked about what we're going to talk about, when I touched on, I one time touched on what we're going to talk about, and he emailed me warning me not to talk about it. <laughs> so I don't want to talk about it because it scared me off. So Sam Lundgren's going to talk about it because <laughs> I was too intimidated. I was too intimidated to talk about it because this is like a this is like the forbidden subject. Well, that's not very narcissistic of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I, what would I do? What would, how be, what would be a better, more narcissist? You know who Narcissus was? Narcissus. Yeah. yeah. Narcissus? What's his name? Narcissus. Narcissus, yeah. You know what his story was? He found that little looking pond, right? And what happened to him? He would just stare at his reflection in the pond. But something bad happened to him eventually, right? Didn't he drown in the pond or something like that? Yeah. He died by, by that. By, by yeah. being so obsessed with his own reflection that that was his downfall. Can you type up how Narcissus him. died? What's his name? Narcissus. Narcissus? Can you type up how he died? How he passed away? Rest R.I.P. Rip. Yeah. He found a little pond with a clear surface, and he liked to look at his reflection. And, and to be clear, this is Greek mythology, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was sitting there looking so much, and he didn't want to disturb that perfect surface, he got thirsty. Oh, he didn't disturb his the, didn't want to disturb that perfect reflection. So died of thirst. Died of thirst. Oh, it's a painful death. Yeah, <laughs> especially the painting. He looks like he's got his face about six inches away from the water. That's a good story. You know, we were talking about not long ago about the Greeks. Is there's a um, uh, there's this principle. It's um, Xenia, Z-E-N-I-A, I think. Has to do with the guest host bond. Like It's like somehow related to the relationship of a flower and its pollinator. I've heard of this. I was going to name one of my daughters. I only had one. I named her after my mother. But if I had more, I wanted to name one Xenia. Um, but yeah, it has to do with the guest host bond. Like Meaning like if you host someone... Like let's say, uh, let's say my father hosted your father in his home. You would owe me still. Like it's that strong. The guest host bond is that strong. Wow. What culture does that derive from? 
I learned it when we were reading the Iliad and the Odyssey. And uh, that's right, because it was Troy. You had to do with like, you remember how the dude that you remember how Achilles Achilles kills Hector. Mm-hmm. Achilles kills Hector and drags his body all over the damn place. And Hector's dad, Priam, maybe. Can remember Hector's dad. Hector's dad comes to beg Achilles, let me have my boy's body back and stop disgracing his body. And there's like all these other things that went on with how he guilted him into it. But part of it had to do with, with Achilles' father um, was once the guest of like Priam's father. And so he was somehow through this, some, some people, like, there's an explanation that because of that, he's like, okay, I'll give you your boy's body back and I'll stop dragging it behind my chariot and making a total mess out of it. Xenia. Uh, Wyoming, in the in the thing that one doesn't speak about, <laughs> it's there's a Supreme Court yeah. case. There, there, I want to explain to people the damn Supreme Court, <laughs> the Supreme Court court case. Well, now you got me all nervous about about opening my my, my mouth about it, and you know which I've definitely felt uh, throughout the reporting on this. Do you want to know how he? You want to know the metaphor he used? I used it the other night. He said it's a deep, cold river. And you will get in over your waders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly felt that way, but it's also been a it's been a fascinating uh, experience diving deep into this. But what we're talking about is the Supreme Court case Herrera v. Wyoming, which was heard by the United States Supreme Court on January eighth. And they haven't decided yet. No, they haven't decided yet. Uh, most folks anticipate a ruling coming out this summer or this fall, but you don't really know with the Supreme Court. Isn't that funny how it takes so long? Yeah, it, it, it is kicks funny. up a lot of research issues, I'm guessing. Yeah, and the alleged crime here happened uh, five years ago. Lay it out. Lay it out. All right. What happened? Sam's uh, now getting, he's up to his knees. <laughs> he's in his knees. In well, you, hate, you forwarded some hate mail to me yesterday about this, so now I'm all nervous. Yeah, because Sam, write, Sam writes, well, let's clarify. Sam writes an article about this, which can be found at TheMediator.com. What's the article called? It's called Herrera v. Wyoming, Inside the Elk Hunting Case Before the Supreme Court. Uh, and he, he's already gotten hate mail. Yep. Yep. But you know, come, I, I mean, sure. it, it's more people airing their biases towards sure. us, um, than, than hate per se. Yeah. It's not, it, it, and this was like, it, to be fair to the, the one I'm talking about, it wasn't hate mail. It was like being like, Hey man, here's some stuff that you might not know. About. I, I learned, I learned a couple things. Yeah. I, from I don't, that. I shouldn't tip. I, that yeah. was a bad, you know what? Me saying that was a shitty thing to say. Cause it was not hate mail. It was like being like, Hey, I think you missed. You're off the mark. He was a total dick about it, but he, he was, so. he was, he was, uh, he was, yeah, he wasn't like some, nice. He wasn't nice. No, he, he started off by saying he was sorely disappointed, which is, uh, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that's my mom. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing that people, some but, people are so, uh, are, are really disappointed really easily. We got a piece of hate mail one time because, because, just out of habit, we use the term like to instead of using something, you'd be like you're running it, you're like running whatever tripod. Mm-hmm. And a guy took the time to write about how bad that is. <laughs> so the people are like ready to be not happy. Yeah, they, they're 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 trying to find any small flaw within it. And you know, I worked on this for three weeks, and I'm sure there are are elements missing. But I, you know, obviously my my goal as a journalist here was to put forward. <laughs> the most complete uh, and accurate version I could. And I tried to write something that would walk the line of like explaining this without, 
you know, pissing off people based on their preconceived notions of it. Um, it so I tried into, to play it fair. Into, it with, gets into race. It, it's, it's, it's highly racially charged. So yeah, let's, let's back up a little bit and talk about what happened. So there's this guy, Clavin Herrera, who used to be a game warden for the Crow tribe of southeastern Montana. Um, and with, two friend, with a couple friends, uh, they followed a herd of elk off of the Crow Reservation across the state line into Wyoming, in the Bighorn National Forest, where they killed three elk that they packed out. Uh, the game warden who ultimately found, who ultimately uh, tracked down this case and um, brought them to to justice, if you will, found a fourth bull that was untouched. But uh, they all claim that that was that must have been from something else, or that he's lying, or something like that. Okay. Um, and how, how did the is it worth getting into how the warden tracked down? I think it is worth getting into uh, because it's I found that story. to be I found that to be a fascinating element of this. Um, so this, this, this warden who, uh, testified before, uh, the, to, before the court in Wyoming, um, and I read through all of that. Uh, so he was finding a lot of poaching cases in this area. I, he, he referenced a friend of his who's a shed hunter who's spending a bunch of time up there. And this guy alone, who's not law enforcement reported 12 elk poaching cases in this area that year butchered or partly butchered yeah it's butchered like carcasses. like there's one where it's a big bull um with missing just its head and its uh back straps um and yeah I, i've got a i've got a quote um sounds like good hunting zone yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's like yeah and he's getting out the onyx this warden said i was getting pretty desperate i mean you know the public entrusts a game warden to enforce the game laws uh, the way the vehicles were coming and going, it was obvious to me there was a possibility it was members of the Crow tribe who were responsible for some of this. Um, but the way he actually, the way he actually got to these particular guys, and it, it sounds like there, you know, there's probably different groups of people, and the Crow tribe is large with a large reservation. Uh, but the way he got to uh, these particular people and Herrera in particular was Herrera sent an email to Wyoming Fishing Game asking to discuss poaching incidents in this very area. Okay. And that was forwarded on to this game warden, Dustin Shorma, who then reached back out to Herrera and said, heck yeah, I'd love to talk about that. We're having, we're, we're getting our asses kicked out there basically. So they met up, uh, on a back road near the state line in this area and and talked about what what their two departments could do to collaborate uh, and to try to solve this problem, but he walked away with kind of a fishy feeling about that meeting. So that was the he he Herrera, who whose name carries the Supreme Court case. Yes, he reached. I didn't realize this. Even like, I realized, but I didn't realize the implication of it. Yeah, he initiated contact. He did. I can I could pull up that email no, if you no, if no, you go on, yeah go if on. you. I somehow you missed that. To see like it. In, even in reading it and talking with you about it, I missed that fact. Yeah, he sent that email. I knew there was he, a conversation, but I didn't know that that's how it was initiated. Yeah, and he okay. voluntarily went to meet up with uh, Dustin Shorma at the state line. They went up and looked at the carcass of a spike bull that had been poached in that area. But Shorma walked away feeling uh, uncomfortable with the meeting. Um, 
here's, here's another quote from his testimony. He was interested in knowing who I suspected was responsible for these poaching incidents. He was curious as to the capabilities of our forensic laboratory in Laramie. On the way home, I was kind of, I don't know, maybe excited that I'd be able to solve some of these cases. But by the same token, it bothered me, some of the conversations that we had. I started thinking like I was maybe being taken advantage of, I guess. Um, so he got home and Googled Clavin Herrera and found uh, his Facebook, but also found his postings on a brag board website called monstermuleys.com. Is it fair to call that a brag board? Uh, that's what a lot of other folks have called it, but uh, board? I, I, yeah, you know, I haven't I feel really like it's just dude swapping info, man. Whatever. Well, no, 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 no. That's part within those forums. A lot of times there'll be sections where you swap info, but then there's also like a thread or an Arizona where just, all it is is like here's here's what I kill. I, 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 I wasn't trying to preference that. It's just kind of shorthand. Yeah, but, no, no, I got you. You know I what I mean? You. I got you. But I, yeah, I just would hate to take like a thing like that where people are you know, sharing like legitimate info. Sure. And also, yeah, that's like, fair. Yeah, yeah, you like to look, it's like, you like to show pictures of, I don't know. Yeah, sure, we, all, we, all, we all like to do that. Go I mean, ahead. I guess Instagram has become a brag board. Brag board, that's fine. Brag board, uh, or a forum website. But uh, found a post there that Herrera had made called Goodyear on the Crow Reservation. Okay. And there was photos of uh, these three elk in question, uh, also a pronghorn and a mule deer that other folks he, he knew had killed. Um, but Shorma saw, looked closely at the background of the photos and felt like they looked like they were in Wyoming. Okay. He felt like he recognized the topography, the vegetation. Um, obviously, he knows this area very well uh, and talked about that at length in his testimony about how familiar he is with the landscape. Um, he said, just based on the limited topography and vegetation I could see from the photographs, I kind of had a hunch where it was at, but I wanted to confer with some people who knew the area a lot better than I did. So we talked to some folks. He talked to that guy who'd reported all the, all the poaching incidents. Um, and then this is many months later, uh, after the snow had cleared because they weren't able to get up into that, into that area in May. So this, uh, the sh that shooting and uh, the conversation between Shorma and Herrera happened in January. In May, uh, Shorma went in there with a wildlife investigator and printouts of these photos. And they basically walked to the kill sites and found all the carcasses. Uh, he talked a lot about um, finding like the the frozen ball of, of like cud, if you will, yep. um, that apparently doesn't, doesn't get taken by, by uh, predators when they're, when they scavenge. Can I interrupt you real quick? Go ahead. Talk about that, Seth, with your special Buffalo tag that you didn't fill. Um, <laughs> no, this is fascinating. Yeah. And I've never the, heard of this. They, they send you all this information when you draw this tag. And one of the, the rules that they want you to follow is if you kill one, you have to cut open the stomach, con you cut open the stomach, and spread the contents out. What? Because think about yep. it. When mugs have been hunting in the area, later, other people go, you got this big bloated stomach. I mean, grizzlies and yeah. stuff eventually eat it, but then you got like that, you know, it just winds up, so they want you to cut it, because then when you cut it and empty it out, it's like a really small thing. I feel like it's aesthetics. There's no other explanation. Yeah. It's got to be aesthetics. Because everything else is going to mop up all the soft tissue, ravens, whatever, gets into it quick. Yeah, I mean, a predator or a scavenger, rather, 
is going to come tear that stomach open. Oh, bears lead yeah. it. Just leaves it looking like someone dumped out a bag of lawn clippings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But That's I mean, there's no other explanation besides like just the way it looks. It's a yeah, because there is yeah. uh, a lot of uh, non-hunting recreator oh, yeah. overlap. Yeah, in those and, and that's yeah, like the size of a wheelbarrow. Sure. Yeah. That stomach is like, you couldn't even fit it in most wheelbarrows. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also a sensitive topic around there, shooting buffalo. And there are Coming a lot of out. folks who are up in arms about that. And, oh, I mean, dude, there's a whole I, organization built around. A whole organization. So like, I, I can kind of understand why they want to worry about the optics of that. Yeah. All right, go on. They did, yeah. they did some cut analysis. Yeah. They, uh, but they were able to take photos that matched the photo printouts. They had brought with them um, by identifying specific like unique knots on trees and burn marks and branch configurations and, and, and took GPS waypoints okay. at the same time finding all these, all these kill sites were um, they said within the space of about a football field and they were all a mile away from the Montana border. Okay. Um, so he and they they so they found those three butchered elk, um, which uh, in Herrera's defense sounds like they were well they were well taken care of. They'd taken all the meat, okay. But they did find a fourth bull that had been untouched, and so but it's May now. Yes, but it's so, May. So that so it's 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 unclear uh, whether that was from Herrera or his group or somebody else or if it died of natural causes i got you somehow so they, they couldn't tell what that bull died from i don't remember exactly um there there's a, there's a lot of chatter about this i think it's something we should sure, we yeah. should discuss I've like heard a lot ever, of the chatter that's why i'm, I'm letting yeah. you say because you've looked into it more i've heard a lot of chatter and i heard some like surprising things that I, that I don't know if they're true or not. Yeah, and you know, I, I've had very little uh, conversation with Clavin Herrera, but I have tried to get in touch with him several times. And I asked him specifically about that. Um, that was the first thing I asked him, in fact, because it's a, you know, it's a big accusation to level at a hunter. And, um, but I also figured that was something that would, you know, maybe get him to respond to me instead of a softball question. Uh, and he told me he... Um, he wouldn't even dignify it with a response. Gotcha. That's how, like, you know, he felt very highly insulted by the accusation. Um, but anyway, uh, that's what the, the, the game warden from Wyoming said they found. Um, so they, they put together this evidence, um, the GPS waypoints, the photographic um, matches, and he confronted Herrera on the Crow Reservation um, in uh, September and cited him for uh, two misdemeanors, obviously the hunting out of season without a license, but also being accessory to other people doing so. Uh, for the, the two folks, they, um, they possessed or they, uh, they seized the heads of the elk. All three elk had already been eaten by that point. Okay. Um, and uh, those three folks uh, went to court uh, they, uh, were pressured very hard by the state of Wyoming, uh, to plead guilty, to plead out the, the state of Wyoming was seeking some $30,000 in fines and was going to, you know, come after them really hard with like, you know, removal of hunting privileges and certain things. Uh, the two other guys, um, whose n names are escaping me right now, uh, did plead guilty, um, 
for a lighter fine. Yes, uh, in somewhere in the neighborhood of eight thousand. Okay. Um, and probation and not hunting in Wyoming for three years. Um, a lot of a lot of this stuff is. Uh, I, I, I feel like people who know this case are just taking notes about what I'm getting wrong here. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, you know, kind of address that briefly by saying that a lot of these case files are sealed because it's an active, active litigation before the Supreme court. Nobody wants to talk about this. Like the guy who sent us that, that pissy note, um, yesterday, uh, he was privy know, to sealed information. He was very, he was privy to sealed information, and uh, ended his his letter um, with a long disclaimer about how we could not reproduce this, we could not use his name, that it was not the official opinion of anybody or anything. Uh, and that's the, that's what I've run up against a lot in this court case um, because well, I've so, even had friends, so many I've people are friends say, well, you know what it. happened, yeah, and then they'd tell me some other part of it, and I would say, well, man, how where can I go see that? And they'd say you can't. It's not part of the public. So record. it's hard to, yeah. And and what I'm what I'm talking about here, this testimony, uh, what I extracted by by skimming through 270 pages of court transcription from the from the testimony. But anyway, um, the, the 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 court in Wyoming um, did a issued a pretrial decision saying that these men could not use a treaty right argument within this within this case so they in in, that, in that trial I, and you, you don't need to explain it to me but i i just don't understand the court system enough to understand that i i don't either steve and so and it seems it's it seems odd it seems odd to me i wish but i understood it better i do i do too and i i imagine this podcast will get a lot of people re- reaching out and maybe somebody we can actually quote about it um and and I, I, I love to talk to talk to anybody about this. And I, I'm sorry if I pissed anybody off I with my reporting. I want to point out. I think you're doing a great job. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. You're trying really hard because here's the thing: it's not like we're airing someone's dirty laundry. This yeah. is being heard by the Supreme Court. Yeah. And as we'll get to, this could is something that could have significant. I don't want to say major. Could have significant, tangible ramifications. It could and it couldn't. Yep. Um, it couldn't. It couldn't. So, so have you hit some points here, Sam, where you, like, during your uh, investigation here, tracking down um, leads, have you hit some points where you're like, I, I'm just, this is pointless to go forward. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to walk away from this so badly. I, I, I got to the point where I was like, man, I really wish I hadn't opened my mouth about this story because it, it, it got to it got to the point where it was it was very difficult to proceed and to really know to be able to parse it because it, it, everybody everybody's got a vested interest here, and there there's so many different strange like competing. Uh, sympathies. Uh, most of the mainstream news coverage you see on here is about this is oh nasty Wyoming is just being mean to those natives that they promised this to and now they're reneging on these treaty rights all these hundred this hundred and fifty years later. Um but then on the other side of it uh you know is some some pretty uh I feel like overblown um rhetoric about what would happen 
Uh, I've, that, seen, I've seen both extremes. You're right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that, that's what I was seeking to accomplish with this story is to, is to make something that people could read all the way through that, you know, was aware of those extremes, but didn't buy into them. And I think honestly, most of the, the feedback I've been getting about this was hunters saying hunters were angry at us for not condemning Herrera. Mm hmm. And I, 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 that's just not my role as a journalist. Like I kept myself out of this as much as I possibly could. Obviously, you can't completely eliminate bias, but I wasn't willing. To, I wasn't willing to say that. You know, he. But you haven't. Even got, but you haven't even gotten to the part that the court cares about. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the part that the court cares You're about. All circumspect, but we're not. Yeah. Married. Well. Yeah. So so that's how he got caught. Uh, the went went to trial. He was found guilty. The the. Uh, jury agreed with the prosecution that, uh, and so he argued because he couldn't make the treaty right argument in court, he argued that he didn't know he was in Wyoming. And that is the, can the, I return to what sidetracked us? Yeah. So, like some legal professional needs to explain to me how you can, how in a court they can, it can be dictated to you what, I don't get it. Like, let's say you kill someone and you're like, you're like, but it was self-defense, bro. Or I'm going to act like it was self-defense, whatever. And they say, you can't say that. Yeah. I don't understand that, but I don't understand. Well, okay. I don't understand so, okay. So I think, enough. I think, I think part of this and gosh, I wish I, I wish I understood this, well, this also, better, but part of it is, is an issue, is a thing called issue preclusion. So I think, I think that's what perhaps where, where this pre-trial ish, uh, decision derives from because Wyoming is saying that because this issue has already been litigated oh. in in high court decisions that I'm about to discuss, because this issue has already been been litigated, you can't re-litigate that issue. Yes. So, so what, what, hold on one yeah, sec. Yeah, go ahead. He's saying he didn't know he was in the state of Wyoming, but he wasn't like the list of charges brought against him didn't include hunting without a license. It, yeah, it did. It did? Uh-huh. Oh, He would have okay. been legal. He would have been, it wouldn't have been Wyoming's issue yeah. on the Crow Reservation. I don't believe the Crow tribe issues deer or elk hunting licenses because it, it's treated as a, as a inalienable right. You're allowed to go shoot deer and elk as a Crow tribe member on the reservation kind of whenever you want. Okay. Collateral uh, estoppel is your issue preclusion. Yeah. Issue preclusion is, is by and large, what's being argued um, by Wyoming in the Supreme Court. Gotcha. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but isn't there also something that hinges upon the definition of occupied land? Yes. Oh, yeah, but that, we haven't got to that yet. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right, jump the gun. But, no, I, but you know what? Now I'm feeling it on how you cannot, like, let's say, let's say we live in some fictitious world in which... Um, some Supreme Court decides that that self defense is not a justifiable self defense isn't justifiable for murder. So then later I'm like I get murdered and I'm like, well I'm going to say that it was self defense, and they say no you're not because it's been decided yes that that isn't a defense. So I could see some version. Go on. Yeah, I'm feeling better now. Yeah. So uh, Wyoming is is pointing to uh, two separate court cases. Um. An 1896 Supreme Court ruling called Ward v. Racehorse. Moment, I'll back up because you're not you're not there yet. I'm tracking. You're tight. right. You're I'm tracking you're right. tight. You're you're right. You're right. He uh, appeals. I'm, He's convicted and appeals. 
Yes. And uh, the appeal obviously has made it to the United States Supreme Court. And what is his uh, what is his appeal? His appeal, the forbidden appeal. Correct. Uh, the, his appeal is that the 1868 Second Treaty of Fort Laramie included language that the Crow Tribe, when the Crow Tribe ceded some 30 million acres of Montana, Wyoming, North and South Dakota to the United States and were allotted their, I think, 8 million acre uh, reservation, they retained the right to hunt on the unoccupied lands of the United States so long as game may be found thereon. Some wishy-washy words. Yeah, yeah. But, no, not words, a wishy-washy word, right? What is it, unclaimed or unoccupied? Unoccupied. Okay. Yeah. Unoccupied lands of the United States so long as game may be found thereon. So the state of Wyoming became a state shortly after that in 1890. And in 1896, the Shoshone-Bannock tribe... um, tried to assert a similar hunting right with similar language. I think the same language, actually, unoccupied lands of the United States, um, asserting off-reservation tribal hunting rights in Wyoming. And the Supreme Court said that um, when the state of Wyoming entered the Union, they did so on the same footing as all other states, the equal footing doctrine. That's, that's pretty ubiquitous. Um, and that, that equal footing includes sovereignty over the natural resources within that state. So Ward v. Racehorse said that the, the Shoshone-Bannock's tribal hunting rights were extinguished by Wyoming's statehood. Like they became not unoccupied. Yes, that that land became occupied when Wyoming yeah. became a state. It was it was unoccupied territory prior to that. Then it became a state. Interesting. So that's that's your definition right there of what is occupied. Yes, and that's being tested. Right? Yes, and and that's and there's there's another layer to that. Um, there was another. Uh, there's another uh, decision from the 10th Circuit Court in 1995, so just shy of 100 years later, um, in a case called Crow Tribe of Indians versus Repsis, which is a, a, a very similar case to this. It was a Crow tribal member who killed an elk out of season without a license in the Bighorn National Forest. Oh, wow. That did not go to the Supreme Court. Uh, it, that ended at the, at the 10th Circuit Court, but the 10th Circuit asserted that the creation of the Bighorn National Forest resulted in the occupation of the land. The Bighorn National Forest was designated in 1897. It's one of the oldest protected areas um, in the country. So there's those two, those two cases, but shortly thereafter, after the uh, Repsis decision in 1995, uh, the Supreme Court heard a case called Minnesota v. Millock's Band of Chippewa Indians. Um, and the, cur- the court maintained in that decision that the Millock's tribe main- did maintain hunting and fishing rights on the lands they had ceded under a similar treaty agreement. Um, but they did not reverse either the racehorse or the repsis decision. So now there's these three 
conflicting precedents yep. that the Supreme Court is 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 wrestling with. Yeah, because I'd have to challenge. Like, is the U.S. territory of Guam technically unoccupied because it's not incorporated as a state? Well, and, like you could show up and hunt. Like a tribal member could go hunt Guam. The oral arguments good in the Supreme Guam. Court. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. No. The the Supreme Court um, wrestled with this in in the oral oral arguments, and they're I mean they're they're throwing jokes back and forth about like how the hell do we decide what unoccupied land is? They asked, uh, let's see, three lawyers, uh, attorneys spoke before the Supreme Court. Um, one representing Herrera, one representing the United States, who, who is intervening on behalf of Herrera mm-hmm. in this case. So they're siding with the Crow tribe and then the the attorney for uh, Wyoming, uh, and they asked all of them. What? How do? How do we? What's what's unoccupied land? How do we decide that? I asked a Our, wildlife professional about this. Um, I don't want to tell who because he, we, I didn't talk to him about how I was going to use this perspective. But I was asking, like, when when people were drawing up these treaties, I was expressing some surprise about using language that would be so confounding to later generations. <laughs> and he said that uh, confounding. Gets it. He said that that probably wasn't the word that mattered to them because you goes like at the time when they were doing this because I think the assumption was that the game would be exhausted. Yes, yes. That they I've, I've read they, that they didn't view it wasn't. No one was picturing that we'd still have the resources, and it was like they were watching it vanish. Hey, as long as it's there. Go ahead. Well, hell, we all know it, it ain't going to be it, there it long. Was, it was exhausted, yeah. and and that's and that's an interesting uh, argument that hasn't been made, but has been suggested to me that elk were extirpated from the Bighorn Mountains. Yeah. So so the the treaty language not only says the unoccupied lands part, but so long as game may be found thereon. So the state of Wyoming also could make the argument that because at one point game could not be found thereon. In the Bighorn National Forest and the state of Wyoming brought them back, as well as bringing elk back to the Crow Reservation, that, you know, the, the treaty right was extinguished because of that. That is not the argument they made, but it's one they perhaps could have. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and, and I've, I've heard that, too, that uh, the uh, negotiators, if you will, for the United States at the time were thinking that. That well, we're we're <laughs> we're damn uh, far down the road of getting rid of all the bison and elk and everything, and they're probably not going to last a whole lot longer. So, what 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 val- validity does this have? This this tri- this right will will go away just because they won't be have anything left to to shoot not too long. It seems that the money is betting on Wyoming losing like we don't know how much they'll lose or how bad they'll lose but the money seems to be betting on that wyoming will lose yes yes that's that's uh that's my uh if i had to read the tea leaves and there's two there's two competing wisdoms here one competing one one wisdom one idea is that this will mean that the whole system that we've built around assessing wildlife populations, making a determination about harvestable quotas and being able to enforce that, like all of that's gone now. If, if I'm just saying the, the two like radical competing with Yes, that, okay? is, that is the, the radical. I'm, I'm giving the radicals here. Yeah. The, the radical sides. And, and, and we'll get in on what might be the thing. But like you, you, wouldn't need to, you, you don't need to look far 
to find someone who could say, well, what this could mean was is that tribal members can go out onto any national forest, any BLM land. I've even heard national park. Oh, yeah. And shoot whatever you want. Whenever you want. Whenever you want. Yeah. It's unoccupied land. And it'll make, land, and it'll make wildlife management very difficult because we won't have enforcement systems and, and, and quotas and, and, and bag limits and seasons and all that. That's, a, that's one thing. Another thing is that um, this is nothing new. Other states have been in this situation. There's states that work in cooperation with most states tribal do, hunters. In fact, in and, some it wasn't Ar- and it wasn't wildlife Armageddon. And there's no reason to think that it will be here. Those are like, right? I haven't been able to confirm this, but uh, I, I've heard a couple times that Wyoming is the only state that does not allow any form of off-reservation treaty hunting. Every other parent, I, I, I cannot confirm this, but I have heard that every other state in the West, there exists some form. I mean, we were just talking about it in the case of the Gardner bison hunt. That's off-reservation treaty hunting. Yeah. And so, there I think, and, and man, I could be off, but in there I feel like it just has to be that the tribe ex, like the tribe doing the bison hunting, but they're doing it in cooperation. They're like, there's exactly. like quotas they put in place. So it that's has exactly to be what that people have missing. Histori- it's like historic use patterns. Yes. So it can't be that like, that I don't think that, that someone from um, like a seminal, perhaps, I don't know. I could be wrong on this. I don't think a seminal could come out and make a claim that they're going to shoot buffalo on the border of Yellowstone National Park. I think it has to be a group that has some sort of historic use standing. Pattern. Now, the Nez Perce, who I went there, the, as we all know, when the Yez, Nez Perce were during the Nez Perce War, um, they traveled through Yellowstone. So it was like they had a, an awareness of the area. They were able to navigate through there. They had historically gone out and hunted on the plains. There's like uh, our, our, our people, if they didn't know about it and didn't know how to travel through there, they wouldn't have gone through there in 1877. So we yes. had a historic, there was a historic use. Yes, and, and, and many tribes uh, have petitioned based on historic use and, and, and treaty language successfully, and in very, very recently, too, um, to uh, restore those, those hunting rights based on historic use. Yeah. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom aunt grandma whoever and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to okay it's easy to upload and share photos via the aura app and if you're giving an aura as a gift you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories named the best digital picture frame by wire cutter and selected as one of oprah's favorite things aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages you can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply man i just got a new truck before i even drove my new truck anywhere i wasn't gonna drive it anywhere until i put a deck system in it that's how, that's what a believer i am in decked i always thought they were a great deal but now they're even better 
because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. This is an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Um, so what didn't we hit? What didn't we hit? Well, yeah, okay. So we we didn't we didn't quite we didn't quite uh, wrap that wrap that up about what what would happen. So yeah, there's people who are saying, well, yes, if the, the Supreme Court, you know, rules in favor of Herrera, then all of a sudden there will be tribal members in every national forest in the West shooting whatever they want whenever they want. I'd be I'd be extreme. I would be that. That's just not going to happen. Well, fact of the matter is that's not going to happen. Yeah, but you don't know because there could be some huge sweeping. Like now and then, the court will have like some huge sweeping thing that causes a lot of yes. But that the, overturns the, a lot the, of the doctrine of conservation necessity is in everyone's minds here, and that is a a, a well established um, precedent that's that basically prevents courts from issuing decisions that would have drastic negative consequences for wildlife populations. Okay. This is this is this is something that dates back a long ways and um the Supreme Court is is highly aware of. The Supreme Court is unlikely to completely solve this issue. Uh they they typically I mean the Supreme Court deals in high-minded I- ideals if you will. So they what I would guess they would do is issue a test for occupancy to, I, I imagine they will say that there are unoccupied lands in Wyoming still. But what that means that they may remand to a lower court or they may issue some form, 
Like what, what I think about here is another case I'm familiar with is, you know, the current litigation surrounding the Clean Water Act. Uh, so the, 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 the issue there is like what, what, what are connected waterways? So like what are you allowed to pollute? What are you not allowed to pollute? And um, what they're basing a lot of the, the revision of that Clean Water Act rulemaking is on um, significant nexus or is it, is it navigable or, you know, how water flows from one place to the other. That's what the Supreme Court likes to do is like, here's a test. This is how you go down and you go figure it out. Yeah. And what, so they'll probably remand to the uh, Tenth Circuit or whomever it is um, based on this. And I've heard, some, I've heard some suggestions that it's 150 yards from a road and 200 yards from a campground in in a national forest in on on public land or so so they they may issue some some like these are unoccupied lands but the conservation the doctrine of conservation necessity will likely lead them or the lower court they were manned to to effectively force wyoming and the crow tribe to come to the table and and say okay you you do have the crow tribal members do have this right to hunt these unoccupied lands whatever the, they may be and put it to Wyoming to accommodate them yeah exactly Wyoming will have to accommodate them and and in the story I have an example of how how that um, went down with a, a tribe in Colorado okay um, and so uh, you know one guy I talked to uh, for this for this story uh, he get he gives the uh, example of um, so say there's 100 elk tags for that unit currently. He, it, if he's looking in the crystal ball or tea leaves or whatever, he's saying like, you know, currently, and, and you know, these, these are numbers out of thin air, but he's like, so if you currently have 80 licenses of those licenses going to residents and 20 going to non-residents, after whatever may happen, if they rule in favor of Herrera, then you'd have 60 of those licenses going to residents 10 going to non-residents and like 30 going to Crow tribe yeah. members. So, th- so that's, that that's, how, like that's how significant reduction of available tags. Yeah. 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 You know, that's a, you just brought up something that's interesting with the guy, the, this idea of like, should you be able to do non-resident hunting is um, most States also put a cap. Yeah. Most States limit like an available resource where only 10% of the resource can go to non-residents. Yeah. And Wyoming does all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Like you can't hunt in the wilderness area as a non-resident yeah, that, without, without a guide, yeah. which I believe is unconstitutional, but I, be- I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I asked the governor there about that. He didn't even want to discuss it with me. <laughs> I would imagine. I'm like, would. that's an unfair rule. How do you justify that? He goes, I don't need to justify it to you. <laughs> 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 I point out it was, it was a joking. He didn't really, I mean, it was weird. Yeah. informally joking around uh my buddies over there on the idaho side that that's kind of what they always come back to is like listen you may have more pressure in your area but the number of non-resident hunters doesn't change it's like for the last x amount of years it's been this much it's capped yeah it's like it's it's never above 10 percent and he's like, yeah, I, I don't doubt that you're seeing more pressure in your zone. Well, Colorado archery elk is not capped. There's over-the-counter tags all over the damn state. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's that's not capped. That's interesting because Brody every... feels like you will. That Brody 
Brody's predicting that you will see the end of that. Yeah. It'll become capped. I I thought that they... I guess not, right? Something, yeah, it's something's not happening to move it that direction. Oh, but they're doing some happen. stuff this year, but they didn't They didn't cap like okay. for the OTC tags. They didn't do any capping. Idaho, every non-resident purchase goes against that quota. So it doesn't matter if you're buying all the way up in the panhandle, uh, you know, unit one, or all the way on the complete opposite side of Hell's Canyon. Um, it all comes out of a non-resident pool. Can I, uh, I know I got us off on that, but can I get us back? What are we yeah. missing? Sam? I feel like we've covered it. So we got to wait now. We got, we got to wait, but yeah, you know, I mean to, if you had to one to 10 it, one to 10 it, um, this is like one to 10 it. Um, like this is like, oh my God, this is going to change life as we know it. Being a ten, hmm. one will be that there's no not even a blip. You'll never really you could live your whole life and never knew this happened. Um, where are you putting it? If, Man, this is like, a tough spot I'm putting you into. Yeah, it is. I wish you'd asked me that an hour ago, and I could have thought about it a little bit. But I'd say a three or a four. You put a three or four. Yeah, I mean, it, if this I told and, you and, that, and so and, we, and everybody like with, with this piece, everybody wanted to put like big implications in the in the headline and and major changes coming, and I and I just I, I was uncomfortable with that because I. Because because of the con- doctrine of conservation necessity, we don't have unregulated hunting in the United States, by and large. You know, th- this will this will ultimately fit into some form of game management system. Will people in Wyoming lose opportunity? That's that's possible. I don't think this Seems quite possible. Yeah, quite possible. Um, but uh, you know, something something that um, Herrera's lawyer keeps harping on whenever I've talked to her is that elk are over objective in that unit and that Wyoming apparently can't get rid of enough elk tags. And so what's interesting about this, and we talk about this and you talk about it too, is that none of this matters to the court. No, the Supreme court doesn't care like (laughs) about the elk objective. They don't care if you took all the meat, none of the meat, it doesn't matter if you shot a hundred of them. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you tortured them. They're talking it about. It doesn't matter if it was a ceremonial. They're it's talking like, about like three or four words. They're talking about issue preclusion and unoccupied lands. Yeah. They're not, that's they're all not they making like, was this ethical? Or, it's, like, it's like they're looking at something very clean. Yeah. All of the stuff we're getting into, all the prelude is like germane. It's yeah. like, is someone who's living under this treaty that was made with the federal government what is the definition of a term that was used in your treaty? Yeah, that's all. And so, like, and so that whole story I took, I took people through is like, and that, that's what everybody points to is like, it's like, oh man, he just, he's felt so guilty. He felt, he really feels like poaching. Even someone on staff was like, well, he was poaching. Let's just say he was poaching. But it's not, that's not, that's not, that's not what's afoot here. That, that's not what the Supreme Court does. More than likely, I would expect that whatever the Supreme Court decides, there will be another ruling by a lower court case that will decide if he was poaching or not, and he'll mm. get slapped with a fine for that. No. You don't think so? No, if he wins, he's not going to get a... If he wins the Supreme Court case, he's not going to get fined by the state. Right. If well, you know, who knows? Let, 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 let's revisit <laughs> this after. Yeah, let's bring a lawyer in here. But, yeah, so I, 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 really, I really think that, you know, it... it it will affect hunters in Wyoming um, 
by some measure, but I don't think it uh, blows up the North American model of wildlife conservation like some people are asserting. That's your prediction. That's my prediction. We'll, we'll return to it. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm I'm hooked now. I can't help but continue to follow this. So, uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be quite a while until this is resolved. So we'll have plenty more opportunities. I don't have a good segue for what's coming next. Do you have a pivot? No. Well, yeah, I think a pivot. That's just like you just start talking about something different, right? No, a pivot's kind of like a segue. Yeah. You could just jump. I like how you're wearing yeah. these things. You have a jump. My my dad my dad calls <laughs> my dad calls it changing gears without hitting the without stepping on the clutch. Yeah, I'm not clutching. And he loves to do that. He just changes changes topics uh, on the drop of a hat. Mid sentence. Oh, I forgot to clutch there. Sorry. Because the theme the, the, <laughs> the theme here one of the themes here is um uh we're talking about here, here I'm I'm working this out one of the themes is we're talking about we're talking with writers and uh and, and writing we're talking about writing. That can be found at TheMeatEater.com. Mm. And I'm pivoting to Miles, Nick Nolte's kid. <laughs> <laughs> Miles Nolte. He never sent me any good you know, birthday gifts or anything. Mm-mm. That's what I was always hoping That's for. That's disappointing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, he could have afforded some, some good shit. I never got anything. You got to do a paternity claim. <laughs> like, well, how else would I have the same name? <laughs> uh, lay out your deal. So uh, the story that we're talking about comes from... I mean, this kind of kicked around in my head when I was ice fishing not too long ago, and we were we were having a good day, and we were pulling a whole lot of perch through the ice, and just kind of taking them off the hook, and and, and we had probably three inches of standing water on the ice in the hut at that time, and I could just hear these dozens of perch splashing around beneath us, not not really dying, just kind of gasping and half freezing, mm-hmm. and and it got me thinking about how particularly as hunters, we talk a lot about ethical killing. Yeah, like you'd never have a half-alive deer in the back of your truck. No, no. You, well, that happened to my old man once, but it was accidental. <laughs> and it was a roadkill. He, did, he didn't do it. it was, someone else did it. You'd never drag a half-alive deer and like have it kicking behind me. That, that's fine. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. Well, that sounds pretty dangerous, too. I mean, there is that aspect. Yeah. But, no, uh, it's beyond. But that's not, what, that's not the point here. It's right? beyond danger. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, it got me thinking about how we, we talk a lot about ethical killing and we judge people who kill what, how we determine to be unethically as hunters. But no one seems to give a shit about fish. My sister-in-law. Your, okay, your sister-in-law being the exception. And we tease her for it. We tease her for it. And She makes yeah. it her job to dispatch fish, and we ridicule her for it. <laughs> but we don't have live squirrels bouncing around in our game bags. No. That would be barbaric. And, and if you wound a bird, bird hunting, and it's still flopping, what do you do? Kill it immediately. 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 And if you don't, you're a bad person, right? I mean, by all of like the collective consciousness assessment. But with fish, you're like tough shit. We just let them go. Why is it? And this is my question. This is what I started thinking about is why, why do we not care about fish? It's, I think it's like, well, I don't know. I think it's just like a person, what the, the amount of credit you give them. Yeah. It's that that hierarchy you've talked about before. But so uh, at, at, after you and I talked about this, Steve, I, I went and, and did a deep dive into some of the literature, like the, the actual research literature on this. And, on and on have, the dark web? Yes. The, the dark web? <laughs> is, that, is that what we're calling academia you, you, right yeah, now? Yeah, Google that, you got to type in the truth about <laughs> the, the truth about whatever, and then you'll get, you'll get the real answer. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, like in certain 
biology circles or certain certain uh, corners of academia right now, there's a lively debate about how much pain fish feel and whether or not they do feel pain. And this, they're like these sort of these two camps that are lobbing articles back and forth in different journals. They keep referencing the same each other and and going back and forth convinced fish do feel pain or convinced the argument for why fish can't feel pain. And it seems to me that all of this like I, I learned I learned a lot of vocabulary while I was doing this. I, f- I figured you guys would, would appreciate vocabulary. So one being um, it, the things that cause pain in to, to critters are referred to as noxious stimuli. I love that. Got it. Yep. I'm liking that one. Yep. And that'd be a good name for a band. <laughs> yeah, it would. Like it's real hard metal Punk rock. Though, man. Yeah. 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 Very like death metal. Noxious yeah. A stimuli. lot, a lot of like feedback <laughs> and they sing like, <laughs> like so that. Just death metal. Yeah. Well, well that, this, that's a great segue into your lead. It is, but I'm, I'm, I've got more, like I've got, I've got these, the, 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 it goes on, right? right. Like you got I'm noxious just, stimuli. I'm just saying Nirvana. Oh, uh, I know. I, I do cover yeah. that in the article. Yeah. We, do, we do get into, you know, <laughs> I, I do believe there's, there's possibly like the reason at least our generation doesn't think that, that that's cool to torture fish is because of Kurt Cobain. We can completely blame him for his, <laughs> his lyric that, you know, it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. But I, I don't buy that. Cobain said that. He did. Underneath the bridge. Yeah. 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 Never did like that band. Oh, I did. <laughs> I mean, nothing to do with that. It's never liked him. Well, you're from that area. Yeah, uh, I know. Couldn't help it. I still, I don't, I don't, I don't consider him like a solid source on on fish perception. <laughs> you don't go there for your ichthyology. I, I, don't, I don't. There I don't. were people in my class bawling the day Cobain killed himself, or the day the news came out that he had killed himself. Listen, I'm not talking about being. I'm not going to like act like I'm sad when someone passes away. I'm not, or I'm not, I'm not I'm sorry. I'm not going to act like, <laughs> I'm not going to say like, that's not, I, I, I meant said the opposite. I went, I, I'm saying like, me digging them, I, don't, I just don't like the music. It has yeah. no bearing on my feelings about one's passage, especially I, someone that has a child. Yes. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pivot this back to, to where I, the, the, the noxious stimuli are things that could hurt something. The, the behavior of responding to noxious stimuli without being conscious of it, are, is known as nociception or nociception. I'm not totally sure. And, and where this really hinges is the difference between having the subjective experience of pain, which is known, or subjective experiences are, are known as qualia. Okay. Just more, more thrown out there. But there's a subjective experience of pain versus sort of the unconscious response to a noxious stimulus. Gotcha. And the best analogy that i was able to find was that like when you put your hand down on a hot burner your body jerks your hand away before you experience pain yep and so those two neurological experiences are different like the the processes in the brain are very different between having what what they would call a a no defensive behavior pulling your hand away and then having the subjective experience of having pain and so where these two camps of, of researchers seem to differ is, do fish have the physiological capability of getting to that pain experience? And some say they do, and some say they don't. So there, there's still debate between these two camps of biologists as to whether or not fish are just reacting to noxious stimuli, 
or they're actually have or they have the capacity to both react to it and feel it as a pain experience. Yeah. If, if the qualia or the subjective experience is similar to ourselves and higher primates. And so there's the you know, if you look at it in terms of the evolutionary tree of vertebrates, fish are about as far from primates as you can get. And there are a lot of differences in the way that we're put together. And these two camps of re- researchers are essentially arguing over something that right now is unknowable. What is the internal experience of fish? It's a good point. Unknowable. It is. And, and they both seem to me, and I'm sure we're going to get mail from folks who are researchers who know more than I do, but it seems to me that they're working from predetermined notions. One can't be in like, it is, we, since we can't know the possibility of subjecting these critters to pain that's not unnecessary is, is atrocious and we should therefore make sure we're not doing it. And the other camp saying the value to humans of our, the way that we're doing things like the way that we fish, the way that we farm, the way that we do testing on fish is so high that we can't assume that they're having the pain experience. And so they both are working from their, their sort of preconceived notions of value yeah. and trying to prove something that at this point is unknowable. So where are you at on it? I mean, I, I'm stuck on the unknowable part, and I have I love fishing, and I'm not going to stop fishing. And I think that fish experience stress. There's no question that they experience stress. You can, you can, there is. Is there no question that well, fish experience yes, stress? Yes, that part is, is no question. They experience stress. They have stress hormones. They, they, there are a lot of studies that demonstrate that they avoid noxious stimuli, right? And that they, they different fish more than others. By the way, trout do not avoid noxious stimuli. Because they're not as smart as, say, goldfish. Different story, though. Other thing I found. But that's but, why Cal can catch them so good. I, I still think, <laughs> I still, from my, when going back to the initial story, I don't think there's any reason to unnecessarily subject fish to stress if you're just going to kill them anyway. So you're now stopping, you're stopping. Okay, let me put it this way. Let's say you're fishing bluegills mm-hmm. and it's hot and you're throwing them in a bucket. Because they stay alive in the bucket. They do. And you keep adding water. Yep. Because you're alive well. We're alive well, yeah. Because it's hot out. Yeah. You don't happen to have a whole bunch of ice and packing them in ice and whatnot. Do you think that's bad? He damn sure is not wanting to be in that bucket. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that... I think that... I'm not, I'm not condemning live wells. I'm not going to come... I'm not going to go that far. How about buckets? I mean, I think you make an argument. The bucket, a live well, are pretty damn similar. A, a properly like, managed yeah, bucket. I, yeah. I, I think those are pretty damn similar. I, I think, okay. and I think that in that case, if you're planning to harvest that fish, and it's a question of spoiling the meat and wasting the critter, I'm, I'm going to say keep it in the keep it in the bucket, keep it alive. But then dispatch it quickly when you remove it from there. Here's the thing that makes this interesting too. And you talk about this. You talk about killing fish when you were a commercial fisherman. I was, I, was, I was a guide. I was a recreational guide. guide, but we were harvesting a lot of... I was, I was guiding up in Alaska. I guided up in Alaska for years, and we harvested a lot of salmon for our clients, and we essentially became fish processors. Best practices. Yeah, was to get them in as quickly as possible, whack them right at the base of the skull till you get the twitch, and then bleed them out and get that meat off the bone well quickly. and that's a lot more humane than what guys. i did i i commercial fished in alaska for a long time and we would haul in tens of thousands of salmon at the same time into our hold of refrigerated seawater that's exactly 34 degrees and so and they would freeze to death over the span of about an hour they'd be swimming around in there 
So that seems much less humane than what you were doing. Yeah, and and that like to to that point, that's one of the the issues going on with the the researchers are talking about, right? The way that we harvest fish commercially, mm-hmm. if they experience pain, like we have all these things in place for livestock, and the way that you can kill livestock to, so that it is as humane as possible. Oh yeah, even like blind, yeah, like blind alleys, you can't they can't see the one in front of it. Yeah, and they, and, they don't see like in a normal situation i guess they, they're not even watching the one in front of it get hit right and that's a meat quality issue as much as a yeah. humanity that's issue. what I, that's what i was getting at with commercial, the commercial practices is it winds up being that um people who are like just concerned with i shouldn't say just concerned with not like it's like a reductive thing people who are concerned with quality of flesh um i didn't know about your case i think people who are concerned with quality of fresh process real quick yeah but sam's case is slightly different too because we're talking about He's talking about humane ethical kill, and this is a question of do fish feel pain? Yeah, well, this is both, and that's the difficulty of this of this debate is because we're trying to apply science to a philosophical issue. The reason that I mean, we know this coming. is possible, though, or it's a relatable thing, is congenital insensitivity to pain, or SIP. Genital, or genital insensitivity. Congenital <laughs> Um, which is the human version of you have never felt pain, nor are you capable of feeling physical pain. So by knowing about that, we do know that it is at least possible to say, well, these fish or what, whatever you want to discuss this on, it is possible that they could very well not feel pain because we do have an established case. Yeah. Um, I know that, uh, these critters damn sure don't want to die. No, that's why, that's what, yeah, I don't have, I don't really have anything to add. My sister-in-law changed my, my, my sister-in-law made me feel slightly sensitive to it because she doesn't like it. And that, that was the base of your, we're out fishing catfish. She don't like them laying in the bottom of the boat, wiggling all around. She won't even fish. She'll just take a flay knife and kill all the catfish. Wow. I would say this. I would say this. I think that the point for me in all this is that we we talk about trying to be at least conscious of the way that we kill things we're going to harvest and we're going to eat them. And I think that we should apply that to fish as much as we do anything else. And and because it's unknowable, take steps to, you know, I'm not saying don't go out and kill fish because I'm not going to stop doing that. But yeah. To, yeah. to, to do it in a way that like if, to not unnecessarily draw out that process. Because yeah, like it's, it's not like hard a, to just whack them over the back of the head and they're done. Yeah, same way. Like if you kill your ducks, to someone say like, I don't, I think you should. When you run up to a duck, you should make sure it's dead. That's not by extension saying you shouldn't hunt ducks. No. Yeah. We've just accepted that that's like a normal practice. Have you guys seen the the videos of the Maasai when they decide to kill you know their nomadic herders and when they decide to kill one of their beeves? Um. Like, it's quite the slaughter process because, like, everybody's around petting this, I would assume, a steer. Um, and I'm not sure what age class they select. But and that would suggest that they castrate. That would suggest that they castrate if it's a steer. But And I'm putting a lot of Western uh, so the critter. ag critter. on there. Yeah. So, but they're around, like, petting this uh, beef and... Uh, I had in from what outside looking in, making it seem very special. And then somebody just pops a real quick 
hole in its jugular vein. And uh, they continue to sit there and and pet it. And eventually it just like weakens and goes to sleep. Is that right? The long sleep. Do you ever see Apocalypse Now? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not how they do it. <laughs> no. no, no, but um, that seems I, like a, a killing them softly approach. I think I think the 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 quick kill and uh, you know quickly dispatching our our game is something that's very caught up in the uh, you know the fair chase ethic that's developed around sport hunting in the, in the United States over the last hundred years. Cause I imagine the market hunters of old didn't care so much about it. I'm guessing not guys who were out killing, you know, dozens and dozens of deer or bison every day probably weren't overly bothered by the, you know, how long it took for them to die. They were and, for, but for other reasons. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> But um, yeah, like someone who just, ran 400 bison off a cliff, right? Yeah, probably wasn't top of mind to go and make sure. I mean, that, that was like a maiming exercise, it was like probably not top of mind to make sure everyone was humanely dispatched real quick. No, but I mean, this is this is something that has grown as you know, I feel like concurrently with the fair chase ethic, and I think it's a positive notion, I think it's tied to a lot of other Western ideals and even anthropomorphism the yep. growth of that in our, in our culture so it's it's fascinating to me and and just dealing with the uh working on this piece with miles it's it's really made me introspective about it now i sort of feel bad for letting tens of thousands of pink salmon uh you know die over the span of a couple hours and it's it's really made me think about this and every every fish i've caught since then i've just it's not too hard to take a fillet knife and stab it right behind the eye and make him dead quickly. Man, those boys in Guyana are good at it. They kill them. They do. Because all their fish bite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't want to flop idea, around man. the bottom of the boat with it because they'll take a chunk out of your leg. And, man, they got it down pat. My they dad hit, almost they hit lost it. Like, it. It's like they take that knife and they'll, they'll stand the fish up, belly down, fin up, mm. and they hit the sweet spot with that tip of that knife and – that fishes. It's a good practice sometimes. My dad almost lost a toe to a Dungeness crab that was wa- wandering around Whoa. the bottom of the boat. But, you know, some folks, again, for the meat, the consistency of meat that they're looking for, it's like you want to leave that heart pumping, pop a gill. Mm-hmm. And so bleed it, it out. So it's yeah. bleeding out. Yeah. That doesn't sound very good. Uh-uh. And then there's that uh, EKG may Oh, yeah. Practice. I was telling Miles about that. Yep. That's that. That can't be a good, can't be good way to go if pleasant. you feel pain. Well, dude, that's where that's where they're cooked while they're still alive, though, man. Once you EKG made something, it's dead, 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 dead. dead. Yeah, the dead, dead. <laughs> <laughs> Explain what that the is. So EKG made um, basically you start at the tail, um, and there's a lot to do with like getting the fish cold, um, but it's still alive. Um, you. Cut the tail open. And it hasn't been bonked on the head or nothing? It hasn't been bonked on the head yet. I think I saw a video of this one. You peel the tail back, you take a metal rod, and you run it up the spinal column to the base of the brain. And what that does is it uh, prevents the fish going uh, for going through rigor mortis. Changes oh. the way it goes through rigor mortis. Changes the way. Yeah. 
We had a guy write in all about this. Okay. Change is the way. To say, like, there's still, like, when you slaughter cattle, have you ever watched them slaughter cattle in a slaughter facility? Not personally. So I think this is the right sequence. They hit it with a captive bolt gun, hoist it up, cut it, electrocute it, electrify it. And that has to do with, yeah, it has to do with like meat quality issues, but it just melts. There's no like, it like changes the way it's like seized up or yeah. not. And we're, the first time we went to Guyana, they killed turtles that way. Cut the head off the turtle and take a long skewer. Did they go out, cut in the jungle, take a long skewer and run it down the turtle's spine, down the center of the spine. Because normally if you kill a snapping turtle, you can't clean it for an hour or two. You clean that turtle the second you cut its head off. Because once you EKG made it, I'm using verb form, which I made up. <laughs> once you did that to it, you could lift this leg up and drop it, and the leg just falls flat dead. Wow. There's no nerve, like there's no like nerve contraction. It just melts. That's fascinating. I'm telling you what, man. And it has to do with like like sushi and the uh, the, the applications, I'm not even totally checked out. I and mean, you can tell Yanis is over there reading about it right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it and is got- interesting on the fish thing because if the, at any point in time, a thousand years ago, um, somebody truly thought fish had pain, experienced pain, that? I think it'd take a real tough son of a bitch to be like, listen, man, I know this is really going to hurt, but I'm going to run this metal rod up your spine. If you're quick about it. Yeah. You know it's dead. It's going to be dead. Real dead. Yes. If I did that to you, <laughs> just like jelly. There's no bringing <laughs> you back. But I think I think the a point here that's important is is that like is it possible that that we are anthropomorphizing all the game as yes. hunters and anglers? Oh, sure. It's yes. very possible. But I also think that that's there's there is a validity to that to it to to take best practices that we can to minimize the potential. Of suffering, whether because we do not know, like at least from the research that I was reading, we do not know. Yeah, you're not ru- you're not like ruining the meat. No, you're not. It's like it's not costing you anything, and if it's only a ten percent chance that it's diminishing suffering, why not? Yeah, exactly. And from a why moral not? standpoint, it's just better ground to stand on. You yeah, know? I, I feel like we can feel better about ourselves as hunters and anglers if we have a higher degree of respect for the animal and its life. And I feel like, you know, in the day and age we live in, having, you, you know, a positive uh, public perception of our practices is, as, is very important that we consider these things. The fact, just the very fact that we consider them, I think, is beneficial. What's the name of your article, Miles? Uh, it's, it's, it's currently being decided because it hasn't come out yet. Oh. It'll be coming out next week. So we we the the draft copy is finished, but the you gonna go with a clever one or just one that lays it right out? I'm not sure yet. Like I've got two different options right now. So I'm I'm I mean the the obvious one is do fish feel pain? I've seen that or that exact type. And I don't think, I don't I don't think I'm gonna do that. I don't think that, I'm that, do that undersells it, man. I know. Yeah. I know. I think I, you should call it. Um, it's working on ethical. It, right now, it's ethical fish killing is sort of the working title, but I think that's lame, and I want to get more interesting. I don't have a good title. I'm working on. <laughs> I was trying to get to a one fish, two fish, red fish. Oh yeah, that's a good type idea. of situation. I was trying to go with red fish, with, dead fish. Yeah, I was trying to go with a play on Nirvana or Kurt Cobain. 
wonder if there's an, another lyric we could extract there. There was there was one of those in, in the in the smells list like titles. Teen Spirit maybe. Yeah, smells, smells like, like dead fish. fish. Yeah, all that. <laughs> Real quick, what's wrong, Giannis? Well, I just want to say some things. I've been listening to you guys talk for like ten minutes. I was going to ask this. you if you had anything and, to add. And yeah. uh, I just feel like it's I, and it's funny because last night my wife and I were talking about just like how much does an animal suffer? We're like the kid. We're somehow the HSUS came into it. And we're trying to explain to kids like species versus individual animals, and we got to talk about suffering, whatever. Until like we actually are able to say, yes, this is the experience the animal has. We can't really even use a term and apply the term suffering to them because you just don't know. And I mean, look at how individuals are different. You might suffer when we're out there in Alaska in the rain and it's shitty and you have a suffering sensation. I might not. I might relish that and, <laughs> and, 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 and do well in it, right? And so like it's, and it's, we bring up these things where like, we're like, oh, well, we feel better about it. And sure we do, but it's like this made up fantasy really that like it's in our own heads that we now feel better about this thing that we're doing where we really don't have, like there's just no basis to it because we don't know you could say, the experience. You could say the same thing though about all fair chase philosophy. Totally. No, and I agree. Like it's something that we've made up and we've mm-hmm. decided that those are the rules that we're going to play by. Yeah, well that, that's what ethics is. An animal rights ethicist that I spoke with, he, the guy that's interviewed in the Stars in the Sky yeah. documentary, he, one of the things he tries, not tried out on me, one of the things he explained to me is he's like, look at the way, our, like, the, way the country handles human rights. All, we recognize that all people have rights. It's not, we don't base out your rights, like an American's rights recognized by the government we don't go like, oh, yeah, but you're not that smart, so you don't have them. Or, um, you know, you're handicapped in some way, so you don't have them. It's just that we extend them. We, we agree on these ideas that all people are created equal, have these things. And so he, that's what makes him uncomfortable with this idea. Well, I wouldn't do it to a deer, um, but I would do it to a fish. It, he does a better, far better job of articulating this than I do, but and I'm kind of doing like such a bad job. I almost regret bringing it up, but you get the point. No, that. no, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned him because his segment in that film absolutely informed my thinking on this. I thought, I thought that was a super interesting inclusion to the, your discussion of hunting. Yeah. He's a good dude. Yeah. Like an like interesting, him. well-spoken um, he guy. really looks the part of a philosopher. Yeah, too. He's an interesting guy. Oh, the the human hierarchy of animals is something that I I find really terrible. It's like <laughs> well, you you you'd get a lot of advantage out of that, you know. Do I get a personally? You know, he's it? saying you do. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah for I mean, sure. I don't know what but you, I know what you've been eating. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, Seth, you got any final? I don't want to, oh, sorry. Um, just so we don't have to deal with it next time we podcast, EKG May, I just did a quick search, read three quick different articles, and they do, because the main purpose is to do it quickly to end up with a better quality flesh, and so there's a spike driven usually right That's behind right. the eye yep. to kill oh. it, and then the process of bleeding and severing the spinal cord Helen happens. Cho, Helen Cho and her boyfriend do it, mm-hmm. and they have a special spike that's right. I forgot all about it. He's got a special spike and a special wire. 
and he takes the special spike and puts it in a special place in the fish's head and then runs the wire up. That's exactly right. I would think he's got like a little special driver for his spike. This and was is very so- particular about the placement of said spike now that I think about it. I'm glad you brought that up. Huh. Listen, the picture here looks very much like a Weren't you fishing with us? Were you fishing with us out there when they were EKG no. man those fish? We no. ate the fish raw. Yeah. Was it especially good? It's good, man. We ate a lot of it. It's a bummer when you get back to the dock and most of your fish is eating up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Living in the moment. Um, anything else, Yanni? No. Seth? Bad year to be a bison hunter. I know, and you could have gone down and, and tried to implore them to extend the season. Yeah, I tried. I, I, yeah. I tried that, but... Uh, and no word of a season extension. Not, not that I've heard of yet. I feel like if it was going to happen, it would have happened, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Sam, final thoughts, concluders? No, nah, I'm talked out. Really? You got water coming in over your waders, bro. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think you did I'll good. St- I'll, st- I'll stay. I'll keep my feet on the bottom. You did a great job, man. I didn't want to do it. Someone yeah. had to do it. Yeah, I felt. I felt like it was. I felt like uh, it was something. You know, in the space we exist in, as the company that we are, I felt like somebody had to talk about it, and I didn't want to put that on anyone else. So I decided to do it myself, and it was. It's been. A, it's been a fascinating, a fascinating process, and uh, hope people understand that. I'm trying my best to to give you the most accurate version of the truth and i'm not trying to preference it in either way will continue to be fascinating it will Mm -hmm. continue to be fascinating miles nolte uh i'm gonna echo the praise that you've given sam i think you did a really good job with that piece and that's a really hard one to do and uh i'm glad it didn't fall to me (laughs) (laughs) you'd rather fight about (laughs) flop and perch (laughs) hey man i i that that one i feel like i can get my head around and and i will piss off a lot fewer people Yeah, you never know though. Never know. You'll never always know. find someone to get mad. At oh, I mean, oh, I'm, yeah, gonna, yeah. I'm good at pissing people off. <laughs> I've done that my whole career. Okay. Uh, do you want me to clarify my hierarchy of animals statement? No, I, I was excluding. You feel it's necessary. Oh, I was just excluding the the human animal from that equation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about and your just, position at the top of the hierarchy. No, no, it just it really bothers me where it's like, well. The, yeah, but that one's special, you know, because in the charismatic megafauna argument that we always talk about, it just drives me crazy that people are so disconnected from what food is, so disconnected from the animals, yet they feel like yeah, glue trapping mice and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rats. Yeah, <laughs> slapping mosquitoes. Exactly, slapping skeeters, glue trapping mice, and yeah. getting worked up because some guy's eating deer somewhere. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, that hunters, rat doesn't want to live. We play, we play into that too so on some level i mean most hunters get weird about you know wanting to eat a monkey oh yeah yeah or a dog yeah dude i'm telling you what i everyone believes in a hierarchy yeah i put monkeys absolutely high on the thing well i remember when we were at the fish shack years ago and uh your oldest boy was uh challenging the hierarchy (laughs) he was scooping up all these uh little eels and hermit crabs and stuff and he'd get them all situated in a bucket and he'd have like little caves and stuff for him and then every morning everything would just be belly up in that bucket you know <laughs> and uh that kind of everybody kind of got together and it was like all right um wouldn't it be good yeah <laughs> at the end of the day <laughs> at the end of the day but he flipped about 
Sea cucumbers. Sea cucumbers, yeah. So his hierarchy is that like fish, eels, crabs, or gunnels, gunnel fish, which yeah. look like an eel, that somehow the, the lowly sea cucumber like doesn't be touched, but he will suffocate innumerable <laughs> other creatures in artificial... The, in perhaps, like aquarium settings, perhaps the yeah. least cute and, and least like, least human but, being there is a sea cucumber. Yeah. Just doesn't look like anything. It looks no. like something out of Doctor Seuss. In his mind, it was like, how could you hurt such a thing? I need to go and dump out all the dead stuff <laughs> from my bucket. I'll tell you, he's not he's not interested in putting a perch back. No, <laughs> no, no. He was upset with me yesterday for throwing back like that, that two inch perch. He doesn't like that yeah. kind of stuff at all. No. Man. Uh, I got no concluders. Did everybody get a concluder in? You good? Except for you. Yeah. You good? I'm all set. No, I'm spent. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.